This episode of the MJ Cast is brought to you by Audible, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks. With over 400,000 downloadable titles ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news fiction, and self-development, head on over to audibletrial.com slash the MJCast and sign up for a one-month free trial and get your free audiobook. Show Audible and the MJ Cast some love. That's audibletrial.com slash the MJ Cast. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a black American. I am proud of who I am. Together, we can make a change in the world. I want to see you! <laughs> I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass, you become the bass. Let the music write itself. I don't sing it if I don't mean it. <laughs> Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news, discussion, and interviews on the King of Pop. Hello, everyone. This is Q. Surprise, I'm hosting another episode of the MJ Cast. Today, we are recording episode 127. The Season 6 Christmas Special. Season 6, can you believe it? There is another year, and I'm very happy to be uh, rounding out the Season 6 of the MJ cast and bringing the season home. And today I am joined by two MJ cast veterans. We have got Taj Jackson on the line. Hello, Taj Jackson. Hey, how's it going? Very well, thank you. And we have everyone's favorite, Father Charles Miss, Charlie Thompson. <laughs> Hello, Charles. Hello. Or should I say ho, ho, ho? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am dialing in from Studio Perth. It is like 6 a.m. in the morning. Charlie, it is late at night for you, I believe. 10.30 uh, p.m. here, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, well, it's approaching 6.30 here now, I guess. And Taj, you're dialing in from Studio Los Angeles, I guess? Yes, Studio Los Angeles. And it's in the past. It's Friday afternoon over there, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it's afternoon. My my time is all mixed up, so that's why I'm kind of like, yeah, it's afternoon. I just looked. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone's probably in their pajamas. And Charlie, you said you've been in your pajamas since March. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, working from home, can't really do anything or go anywhere. I mean, I put trousers on and go for a walk every day, I suppose. But yeah, pretty much living in pajamas. Oh my gosh, what a year for everyone, hey? Yeah. It's been crazy. But I should say uh, right off the bat that Jamin and Elise send their Christmas best wishes to you all. They do wish they could be here. It's the middle of the day for Elise, and I worry that her boss is working her to death because mm. uh, she is working so hard this year. It's been a huge year for, for books and publishing, and she is really going to need a bit of a break over Christmas. But uh, Elise sends her apologies because of her uh, demanding job. And Jamin isn't here because he is caring for his wife who had a surgery uh, just mm. yesterday and he's looking after her. 
It's been a very big couple of months for Jamin's family, but things are looking good now. And I heard yesterday that Lee is recovering well. Awesome. Yeah. So that is, that's a big year for Jamin, I know. Yeah. So he's uh, asked if I could uh, helm this episode and bring the season home. And getting to chat to you guys is always a pleasure. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, I'm honored to be on um, kind of the end of the year kind of wrap up in, in a way. So I always like these. Yeah, this is this is always a good episode. I know that this wrap up this year will be a little bit different to previous years. Um, Jamin told me, I remember in previous seasons, we always used to go through and pick best of clips from episodes uh, and then compile those into the big Christmas special. Sometimes that would make it a five-hour-long episode, um, <laughs> which I don't think Jamin does much these days. So this year it's going to be more more relaxed. We've got a few discussion topics and news items we're going to breeze through, and then we'll have a, the bloopers. Stay tuned for the bloopers at the end of the episode. And yeah, we're going to have some great chats and discussion because really, I know listeners that you love hearing from Charlie and Taj. So that's that's the meat of the episode and we'll get to that. So gents, thank you again for joining us. We're going to start the news and discussion section now. And um, I look forward if you've got insight. I know Charlie, you're the expert on some of these things. But uh, if you've got some insight, we'll get that off you for some of these topics. <laughs> the first one is a good news story. Gents, Bryce Najar, who I believe you both know, wonderful, amazing French fan who released a book, Let's Make History, a few years ago, is releasing a new book. It is called Blood on the Dance Floor, Let's Make History in the Mix, and that has been released. Gents, did you get a chance to look through the advanced PDF copy that we got us uh, email of? Well, I look through it, yes. Read it thoroughly, Done. no. Um, <laughs> so it looks good, but I can't really go into a lot of detail. I had a quick, because we, we only got the link recently, so. Yeah, um, and I um, didn't read at all in That's terms okay. of that. I know Bryce does great work knowing him and just knowing the reaction that his last book got, but I'm kind of allergic to reading right now so that's kind of <laughs> i'm an audiobook person right now yeah ah excellent well yes bryce and uh his wife leticia do do great work when they put a book out and i did have a quick flick through the pdf this morning i read a little bit of the introduction talking about what a surprise the whole blood on the dance floor concept album was mm. For mm. people, it was, of course, meant to be an EP, which mm -hmm. these days is definitely the way so many artists <laughs> release music is just yeah. a little EP. But back then, Sony was not keen on the EP idea because it wasn't a full album and they couldn't market the project as a full album and it wouldn't cost the same, of course. They wouldn't earn as much as if it was a full album. So they... Uh, buffed it out with those remixes that I know Charlie loves. Well, you know, this was the beginning of the fallout with Michael and Sony because, um, as Michael said in his interview with Black and White magazine, 
he hated those remixes and um he he was not really a fan of the whole concept of putting those remixes out but he said that he was kind of pressured into it by Sony. It was the first time that interview, I think, was in 99. That was the first time he spoke publicly about his sort of uh, uh, the beginnings of his discontent with Sony. Uh, so I'd be interested to see if if any of that uh, starts to take shape in the book or if it's just purely about the recording. Well, they, the bit that I did read did talk about how uh, Michael wanted it just as an EP just those those five songs to give the uh, the tour that was re-entering the Europe market a second push because five singles, I believe it had been five singles had already been released from the History album. And they were like, how are we going to get this tour sort of through Europe on this other leg without another album? And um, they did not have faith that an EP would do it, which is a shame because I think it definitely could have. Yeah, I mean, speaking as an artist, there's something about remixes that are kind of hard to, I get, like, I'll give you an example for anything, our first single, the the record company wasn't very confident in our first single, Um, they didn't think it was urban enough, and so we ended up having to do a remix to it called the Urban Mix, which had uh, Bobby Cobwell's what you won't do for love as like the background or the, you know, the, the loop I should say. And what's hard about remixes is that when you've worked so hard on a song, every sound, every syllable, every, every beat, and then that might not be the first thing your audience hears. They might hear the remix first, which is something that you only have 50% control of because now there's different music to your acapella or, or to your backgrounds. And, and so that's been the hardest thing. And, and with anything, our song, anything, the remix didn't do well at all. And so we actually had to undo the damage of the remix, which lo and behold, the record company didn't have faith in our, in our original. And so as a negotiation to do the remix, we said, We'll allow the remix only if we can shoot the video to the original. And they said yes. And that's literally what saved the song was the was because the music video was to the original. We had people call the radio stations. They said, play the version that the music video is. And then that's how. So we had to, we, it kind of was a big uh, hiccup. And so I get it with um, what my uncle went through because I mean, he's even more of a perfectionist and more of a stickler for his sound. And if someone's hearing a Michael Jackson song, it should be a Michael Jackson song. Now, it's fine that do remixes, but that shouldn't be the first thing that they hear. Imagine if they heard a Billie Jean re- remix as the first time they ever heard Billie Jean. That would be oh. a tra- travesty, you know, you know, especially in today's world. Yeah, so. It sounds like the record executives that try and make these decisions, they just, they really don't have a grasp on the artistry side of things. And sometimes that really backfires or makes things a lot more complicated and difficult. Would that be sort of accurate to say, Taj? Um, That would be an understatement, but yes. (laughs) I I think any entertainment industry... In general, and Hollywood and, and the movie industry is guilty of it too as well, unless it's an independent company. It's like paint-by-numbers kind of formulaic in terms of if something works before, let's do it like that again. 
and let's push as many products as we can through that line that we possibly can. And that's what, um, so remixes probably were big at that time and they wanted to subject the biggest artist, um, recording artist of all time, Michael Jackson to remixes, which, you know, him being a trendsetter and what people looked forward to in terms of music, just it's, it's backwards in that way. And so, yeah, I know that's what they did with us. They, they um, looked at, us and they said you guys have to go urban first because that's where your lineage comes from and urban at that point this is 1994 95 was dr dre and snoop dogg and you know it wasn't it wasn't the pop slash urban market that people think it was it was very much uh rap and hip-hop dominated the charts and so there wasn't very much breathing room in the urban market for 3t Interesting. And especially with when it comes to remixes, when it changes the song into a completely different uh, genre and feel. Like, I, I do like the extended mixes from the Bad Album that Michael worked on, really. They, they were just yeah. parts of the song that couldn't fit on the LP, the 12-inch mm. mixes and things like that. They were actually the original sort of recordings, but the parts they couldn't use, they then included and made them longer. I think Thriller has some great ones as well. Yeah. Those sort of things that are, I think are a different beast to turning something into like a Euro club banger yeah. of uh, Earth Song. He, he did soften his, his um, stance though, because I remember us complaining to him about it, me and my brothers. And he's like, I know, I know it's something that, you know, they just, they want you to do. And, he kind of threw his hands up in the air. like So he sympathized with us when we were complaining about remixes, but he did understand that it was something, uh, the nature of the beast. But I just think that when you have really no control, it's, it's a lot harder. So something that he's involved in, it's it's a lot easier. Because we've done remixes where we've been involved in it. But thankfully, Blood on the Dance Floor really contains five tracks that we hadn't heard before. And uh, definitely a number of those are fan favorites to this day. So I would recommend this book. Bryce Does It Again releases another great book on Michael and the album and the recording process. There's a, I know one of the early chapters is when Michael went to visit the Chaplin family in Switzerland, oh, yeah. yep. which is always a beautiful story. It talks about the creation of the Ghosts box set. Mm. Um, as well, and how the song "On the Line" was released, they they really didn't think that Michael would sort of give the go ahead for them to release that song, but he did, thank gosh, and uh, that made it into the Ghost Box set. So things, stories like that are in this book. So I would recommend it if you do like this kind of insight into album creation and releases. Bryce nice. Najar's "Blood on the Dance Floor." Let's make history. We will have links in the show notes because I can't remember where to get it. <laughs> yeah, and Bryce does great work. The reason I said I was allergic to reading was just because I have a two-year-old right now. So any kind of <laughs> just calm sitting down and reading is just not going to be not going to happen right now. So that's why. And it just off the topic completely, Taj, your family's well. How is Taylor? I can't. So Taylor is two years old now. Is that right? Yeah, turned two in November, oh end of November. Gosh. So yeah, she's she's amazing. Um, she keeps me going. She, you know, her smile keeps with everything that's going on. She keep every day kind of resets because I get to see her smile 
And I know, okay, this is what I'm doing, and this is why I'm doing it. And so she's kind of my motivator slash, uh, I was going to say instigator, but that's not the right word. Uh, motivate. I say my, my motivation in terms of the things that I do. So she's great, though, and my wife is great as well. Um, oh, good to hear. Good to yeah. hear. I'll make an announcement. I'll make Yo, an announcement. We have since, an announcement. Uh, yeah, since this is since this is MJ cast, and I just love this podcast. I haven't told anyone, so this will be kind of scoop. But um, Tyana is pregnant, so <gasps> that's another thing um, that congratulations. Has been, thank you. Um, so that's another thing that's kind of cat out of the bag. But yeah, so that's also been on the plate. <laughs> that is amazing news. Pretty far along. Wow. (laughs) Oh, congratulations. Gosh, you have kept this quiet. Yeah, uh, May next year will be the due date. Oh, that is wonderful news. Congratulations to yourself, Tayana, and Taylor, who will be a big sister. Yes, definitely. Oh, that's wonderful news. Yay, more cousins. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> more yeah more more jacksons <laughs> it's really oh, what it comes down to have you had a chance this year to be able to to see a lot of your siblings or cousins and things like that every once in a while we're we've been very 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 careful um yeah. now especially now that time is pregnant it's it, she's at yeah, a higher risk so it's been hard because we've missed certain birthdays from our cousins and, and relatives that they don't know why we missed it. We just had to graciously say we can't make it. Now they'll understand. But yeah, it's it's mainly, you know, Terrell's kids, Bryce and Adrian, or, or TJ's kids, you know, Jojo, Dee Dee, and Rio. So it's it's just, it's mainly that. And it's every probably blue moon that we see yeah. them. just Just so that Taylor knows there's other humans in the world. I think it's kind of <laughs> kind of what is nice, you know, besides cartoons, there's actually, you know, flesh people around running around. Yeah. So, yeah. Your brother put out a tweet or an Instagram the other day that was a bit cryptic and uh, got some fans worried about your grandma. It said something like, I really love my grandma. Uh, she's a queen yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is, is all well with uh, with your grandma? Great question. Um, yes, and I saw that tweet. I saw that tweet too, <laughs> and I contacted TJ because it was very cryptic. But everything is fine. Um, my grandma's fine. I think there comes time when we just like reflect and reminisce about what she means to us and what she's done for us. And I think that was just TJ saying, "You know what? I really am so grateful for my grandma. I'm just going to tweet about it." I know because she's older up in age that people might have been scared, me included. But no, um, everything is fine. And um, we all keep tabs on her. She's she's closer by now, so that's that's always great. Okay, well, that's a relief. And Auntie Reby helps look after yes. um, Grandma Kate. Yeah, she's done a great job. And and the, the truth is, is that, you know, the Lakers won. the champ, That's a team that my Aunt Reby and my grandma love. And they're not much Dodger fans, but, you know, it was a great time to be a Laker fan. Yes. Oh, that's good. Oh, well, please send out our best wishes always and best Christmas wishes to your family. And, uh, yes, we hope that Grandma Kate continues to do well and stay strong and safe. 
Exactly. Which is unfortunate that we can't visit her as often as mm-hmm. we want to because she's up there in age. So we, n- no one wants to go over there and, and be the reason for something, you know. So that's been another thing. Which is very responsible. How did uh, Stevie Wonder end up at the house performing for your grandma? I saw a video a couple of months ago that was unbelievable. Yeah, it would have been nice for me to get an invite. (laughs) It was very very unbelievable. I guess it it might have been a spur of the moment thing because no one, you know, besides the people that actually were around the house knew about it. I found out just like you guys found out. I was like, oh, that's great. And I had a little jealousy streak going through me in terms of, well, Stevie Wonder, you know, just amazing living legend playing for my grandma and just around the house and just chilling. That would have been an incredible memory. That was a pretty cool video. I suppose we should get back to the news. Like I know Tars, um, yeah, Tars just dropped some huge news for himself. I'm sorry, which guys. We're yeah, very happy about. But I suppose I should probably get back to the other stuff. We're gonna we're gonna talk more later, folks. Don't you worry. I love just having these conversations, and I know you all like listening as well. But I guess the next story we're going to talk about was uh, King Vention. The mm. European Michael Jackson uh, convention went online this year with KV Global, a three-hour global Michael Jackson convention, including interviews with Jean-Marie Hove, which I'm sure I've pronounced miscorrectly, and I do apologize, and Bill Bottrell. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a guest list. So I know that's always been a, a sort of big thing in uh, England when they do the Kingventions and I actually was flicking through MJ cast photo album on my iPad the other day and found very early promo images from I think 2015 the very first Kingvention when we helped partner with them for promotional partnership support back in the early days and of course due to uh, COVID they couldn't do a a face-to-face convention this year Mm-hmm. But um, what a guest list. I know Jamin had asked uh, Jean-Marie to talk once, especially on the Casio tracks, and at the time he declined. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we're glad that Pez got him on the record for that topic. And uh, combined with, I guess, revelations in that KV Global and also in the latest TJ episode, really shows for me a bit of a turning point in the industry of people's willingness to go public talking about the um, the Casio tracks. But of course, Taj, you, you were going public even before they came out, as, as were some of your brothers. Yeah, I'm, I mean, Terrell was the spearheader because Terrell had heard it before anyone really had heard it. You know, um, he mm-hmm. had been, he, you know, he was, he was very close to Teddy. And so he had heard it and it kind of was bubbling up inside of him. I mean, right away he knew it wasn't his uncle. He kind of, as a sounding board, played it for myself and TJ as well. Um, I think we might have been in Terrell's studio when it happened, and he had some of the tracks. And and it's a hard topic for me because, yes, a lot of people are kind of changing, not changing, but are willing to talk about it. But we took a beating in the media when... Well, first of all, Terrell took the biggest beating in terms of talking about it, but then me and TJ backing him up 
I remember the narrative was like, oh, we're jealous of the Casios or it's because we didn't have a song on his album or we didn't write songs for him. And we're just trying to sabotage this album. And it was just hard. That was the narrative that the media wanted to spin on us. And it was anything but the truth in, in terms of we've had opportunities, obviously, to do songs with our uncle. We've written songs with our uncle. We just, they weren't ever recorded. And so we didn't feel the need and um, the guts to do something and claim that it was him behind it unless it really was him behind it. So that's just the difference. But yeah, we took a So there's a, there's some bitter and sad memories in that time period because everyone was divided. And, and at the same time, the fans wanted it so much to be Michael because it was such a joyous thing for them to get new Michael music, which I get, but it has to be Michael. And that was the difference because his discography is something that was so important to him or else he would have just released anything that came to his mind or anything that he had recorded, but he really wanted to have a certain discography. It was really hard to deal with, especially when you know that there's songs like Hold My Hand and other songs that were ready. Do you remember what it was that Tarrell played to you? Was it Breaking News or was it one of the others or all of them? I think he played two of them. He played Breaking News was definitely one of them. And and once that first, or I don't even know what line. I, honestly, I haven't heard the song that many times just because it really angers me. But uh, the the Michael Jackson line, everybody wants to be like Michael Jackson or whatever the line was. I that almost gave me a heart attack, and and because I just besides it, you know, in your gut knowing that it's not your uncle, but then knowing that your uncle would never mention himself in a song, it's just not who he is. It's, it's the biggest, it's the opposite of him when it comes to being, it's a very conceited line in a way as a artist, as a, someone that would write a song, everyone wants to be like, I forgot the, the line. You guys will correct me on it, but it just, the, that was like the, the, the dagger in the back in a way that it was just like, that's what they're going to go with. They're going to go with the song that definitely isn't Michael, but also doesn't even represent what he would be singing about. What did he play you? Did he play you the, like the track or the acapella? He played both. He played the, the acapella was of some of the stuff he put and he had it because he was working with Teddy at the time. And so that they both had, I don't know if he still had it, has it. Um, but you could hear first. I mean, it's all the stuff that people now are talking about. There's no foot stomping. There's no finger snaps. Up tempo songs. My uncle and he would get mad at us if we didn't, you know, if we weren't feeling the music in our songs. So to have a a, a track and it be completely clean when it comes to acapella, and it's a Michael Jackson track that doesn't exist. There's no unless you wrapped up Michael Jackson in rope. And basically, you know, constrained his head. There's no way that he wouldn't be making noise while he's doing an uptempo song. There's just no possible way. Even you can go as far back to I Want You Back in ABC. There's headphone bleed and there's this and that, especially if it was something that was done in a lower quality place. So it screamed phony and fake way back then. But it's just I think now people are starting to distance themselves in terms of they can now that they have distance from the whole thing they can kind of see it better and and kind of feel more courageous of talking about it but yeah for me it was just 
it was hard to to hear. And the version I heard also had a lot of samples in it from other songs. You know, um, from the breaths, you could hear all the like the fake breaths and the and all that stuff. So it was like, yeah. Oh. When he brought it to you, was he? I don't think this is Michael. What do you think? Or was he saying, "Oh my God, this isn't Michael. You've got to hear this." What was his What was his position at that time? I think he, I think he wanted to get our honest opinion. He's like, "I want to I want to play you something." I think that's how he approached it. He didn't give us an opinion either way, but I know my brother. He wasn't happy when he said that those words. So already knew that he was not happy with what he was going to play, and so once we heard, it, he goes. They're, they're saying that's my that's um, Uncle Michael and and so yeah yeah we didn't know the whole story behind it me and TJ didn't know we didn't know anything about it in terms of that we just had heard the songs and whatever but we didn't know the politics behind it and who was behind the songs and what they had gotten paid and all that stuff that came out later and that stuff so we didn't know anything but we just knew it wasn't our uncle. Once you knew, once you'd heard it, did you do anything? Did you make representations to the estate or anything like that? I think Terrell had already, if I'm not mistaken, or we did later on. We did soon later on. I think we even tweeted about it. We tried a a bunch of different avenues, but every time we tweeted about it or every time we spoke up, there was like a media machine that just destroyed us in that way. And, And TMZ was one of them that like kind of was like, oh, you know, they're just jealous of the Casios. And where do you think that was coming from? Because it did seem I remember it and I remember it seemed to be almost like a a concerted narrative, you know, that it wasn't just like the odd voice. It was like everybody was just coming down on the family like a ton of bricks. And it was all the same old, uh, you know, the same lines they pedal out when the family defends Michael against leaving Neverland, for example. Oh, they're greedy. Uh, Michael's yeah, the vul- cash vultures, cow. They, they yeah, vul- vultures, yeah, greedy, yeah. They, all they the want same. money, you know, they're mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But it did seem really quite forceful, the uh, the attack, when when this was going on. What's your opinion on where that stemmed from? I have no idea, like, who gave the order to do that or why they gave the order to do that. I just know that the songs and the album, there's a lot of money behind it in that way. And so we've seen with anything that has MJ's name on it that when there's a lot of money behind it, the the truth really doesn't matter. It's the narrative and what they can spin that really matters. And so for us, we just were in the way from the narrative that they wanted to spin was something that most people would never be able to even imagine happening to them. What does it feel like to have that happen to you, to have the media, you know, you, you know, in your heart, you know that what you're saying is true. And then you wake up the next morning and the whole Western world's media is stamping on your head. What does that do to you? Um, it hurts. I think it was more, I'm kind of numb to it now, as you can tell. That's why I just commented like, oh, it hurts. But back then it was very painful. But I remember vividly that for the pain that I was feeling and Terrell was out there even more. Terrell was taking all the hits and all the arrows that were being shot his way. 
because he was the most vocal and he had been the first one to bring it up in terms of the family. And so he was getting blindsided and hit from all different directions. And so me and TJ kind of came in as support, but he was out there. And I think that was the thing. So as much how I looked at it, as much as I felt bad and whatever, Terrell was the one that was taking damage the most in that way. And I think that to this day, it, it bothers him and it hurt him. And it still hurts him because he understands, you know, the, the legacy of Michael Jackson when it comes to music. He studied with my uncle. He, he asked him questions all the time about music. If we wanted to exploit my uncle, we would have done it, you know, 20 years ago. 30 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was, you know, but it's like, that's not who we are and because we loved our uncle. And it's just like to, to think that someone close to him could do that to him. It's, it hurts in that way. And we, we were friends with the Cassios and that was the hardest thing about it was that I would never in a million years, if I had music or anything on Michael Jackson, think about selling it back to the kids and his mother. I'd be like, look, I have this for you. Do you guys want to release it? Do you anticipate being a witness in the court case if it if it ends up going to trial? I mean, it's been going on for about six years or something and still no trial in sight, but would you be um, willing to do that? Yeah, but I don't, for me, I don't know what I've said that hasn't been said. I'm not the best person when it comes to these tracks. My wheelhouse is in other things that I was physically there for. So I kind of am better at those kind of things than I am. I don't like speaking about stuff um, that I don't know. And so I'm not very versed on the Casio tracks. I know that feeling, Taj. And Charlie, you brought up the court case. Um, Vera Sarova's lawsuit against uh, Sony Music and the Michael Jackson estate has received support from key consumer protection groups. And I'm going to ask you about that. But just finishing up on the Kingvention, folks, the Kingvention uh, KV Global link is in the show notes and you can watch that three-hour global convention online Mm. on YouTube. Head to the show notes. Charlie, the latest update in the Vera lawsuit was a bit of surprise where all of that support just that came sort of all at once for her case against the estate. Can you maybe unpack that latest little update for us and that good news? Yeah, so basically it all revolves around what's called an amicus brief. So this case obviously has been going on for years, and just for anyone that's listening that doesn't know the background, the allegation in Vera Sarova's lawsuit is that three of the songs on the Michael album released in 2010 Uh, were advertised as featuring Michael Jackson vocals, but in fact it featured uh, an impersonator performing the lead vocal. The trial so far has revolved around an argument, it's not even gone to trial, it's just been motions back and forth arguing over whether the estate is culpable for false advertising or fraud, because the estate claims that when it said that the songs were sung by Michael Jackson, That was non-commercial speech. The estate says it was contributing to an existing discussion about whether or not Michael Jackson was the vocalist on those songs, and therefore uh, to say that they weren't allowed to say what they said 
is a, a breach of their First Amendment right to free speech. So what the estate has gone to court and argued is that the estate it, it's irrelevant for the purposes of these arguments. They said, OK, we accept for the purpose of this argument, we accept that the songs are fake. We still win because the law says that we are allowed to say that Michael Jackson sang those songs when he didn't. So even if we're lying, even if we're ripping people off, is the phrase that the estate lawyer used in court, <laughs> even if we're ripping people off, it's legal, right? So on that basis, the appeals court has actually sided with the estate uh, in the past and said, uh, yes, you're right, uh, you are legally entitled to like to the consumers if it's part of a, a public interest debate. And so now what's happened is all of these consumer rights groups have got involved in the case and said, we're standing with Vera Sarova because this can't be allowed to happen. The lead uh, organization on the amicus brief is the UC Berkeley Center for Consumer Law and Economic Justice. Uh, but there's other groups involved like Truth in Advertising, the East Bay Community Law Center, etc. Uh, so this news came out the other day from Damien Shields, of course, who's working on the uh, Truth Untold podcast, which will, over a series of episodes, tell the story of these songs. And then just after that news broke, like a day later, it turned out that the Los Angeles City Attorney's Office is also planning to file an amicus brief. So what that means is that the government in Los Angeles will be joining the lawsuit with Vera Sarova to say the estate should not be allowed to do this, uh, which is enormous news. Um, and I don't know what Taj's response to that is. I mean, I, I imagine you're quite pleased about it. So does that mean that the songs would come off the album? Is, like, I don't know the end game of, of so, the scenario. So um, if it went to trial and Vera won... I believe that what her request is, is that the songs should be removed from sale. Anybody mm -hmm. who purchased those songs should be offered a refund, and the estate should offer a public acknowledgement of and apology for the fact that the songs are fake. I believe mm -hmm. that's what she's fighting for. And essentially, what's happening now is the government in Los Angeles is joining her lawsuit to say, yes, that's what should happen. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I was just listening intently because I'm. I was kind of getting filled in as you were speaking. You, you know. We have a link in the show notes to an incredible article from Damien Shields on DamienShields.com, which really unpacks the the whole process of, like you said, Charlie. This has been going on for years and years and years. They tried to slow it down with a anti-slap statute things that we spoke about for many years and um this development was really out of the blue and very positive in support of vera so please i encourage you go to the show notes and check this article out um charlie that was a great update for us a summary you've unpacked it perfectly i do want to say one thing in terms of just knowing who my uncle was in terms of his artistry and, and how much he cared about his music, I think it would be very important to have the songs off the album and out of his discography. And that, that, is, that would be super important to him in terms of the purity of his discography. 100%. Hashtag remove Casio tracks now. Yeah, it, it, it would bother him. That's all what I would say. I, you know, I always do make like a judgment in my head of like, is it something my uncle could have lived with or is it something that I couldn't like, where do I have fights and 
where do I where do I focus attention to? Certain things, if I know for sure, like it would bother him, I'm willing to fight for those things. And other things that it's like, oh, he would probably laugh it off or just ignore it. Then I tend to go that way. We, of course, salute Vera Sarova, who really is just a fan like us, who did bring this lawsuit against um, Sony Music and the Michael Jackson estate. That's a huge undertaking. Well, not only that, but actually went to law school and trained to become a lawyer so that she could handle her own case. But, you know, that's commitment. That is beyond commitment. That's incredible. (laughs) It's a great story. Just before we go on to the next update, which is another court case uh, regarding the HBO appeal against the MJ estate, Taj, just one last question on this topic is how hard would it have been for the family to bring such a lawsuit against the MJ estate? For the songs? Yeah, for those for those Casio tracks. You know, the, the, the hardest thing is working you still consider yourself a team in that way because they're, they are the Michael Jackson estate and they are working in that capacity. And so it's been hard in terms of, I always pick my battles with the estate in terms of certain things, because at the same time, it's, I wanted them to be important things for that. I know my uncle would, would, uh, would have fought in that way. And, and I'm not saying the state wanted like one of the things, and the state had nothing to do with this, but I'm saying in terms of when my uncle passed, there was talk about him being buried at Neverland. And I know my uncle wouldn't have wanted that. And so me and my brothers and some other um, family members really raised our voice to make sure that did not happen because we had heard from my uncle many times about how since that police raid and since the trial, Neverland never felt like home to him anymore. And so there's just certain things I will fight for. And then there's other things that I just, I'd be able to do nothing else if I fought everything that was, you know, for my uncle in that way. So I, certain things have, I have to let slip through the cracks and that. So it's, it's just hard because I think as family, we have an emotional attachment to Michael Jackson, but every time we get involved in anything related to controversy in terms of whether it's the um, AEG case or whatever, we're labeled as, as you said, greedy vultures. And so it's just, it's very discouraging, which is one of the reasons why when fans are like, why isn't the family doing anything about leaving Neverland and stuff? A lot of them are feel depleted. I don't want to say the word scared. It's just, they every time they go out and say something, they get attacked. And so, um, yeah. The ignorant and and fearless, you know, person. I was like, I'll do it, and and I always have, you know, because I also, you know, knew Wade, and they're like, Yeah, you do it, Taj, you do it, you, you speak very well, you know. But um, I think they were scared that I was going to screw up too in the beginning. I think you're right in the sense that what's happened with this lawsuit over the Casio songs to date is it's pretty much flown under the radar. I mean, there was a period about two years ago where it got a flurry of press activity but for the most part because it's been brought by a fan it has flown under Mm -hmm. the radar now if this was a lawsuit that had been brought by the jacksons then every hearing would be covered and Mm -hmm. every hearing would be covered in a way that portrayed 
the Jackson family as thieves, crooks, greedy, trying to leech money off the estate, jealous, bitter, etc., etc. You know, so I do think there is some validity in what you're saying there. And that you know, if if you if the family had brought this case, you would have just been pilloried relentlessly. Um, I'm interested in your personal opinion because you're sort of on the inside. You sort of skirt. On, on the edge of being on the inside and the outside where the estate is concerned. But from your perspective, do you think that the estate are victims of a fraud in the sense that they bought these songs in good faith and then discovered that they were not real? Or do you believe that they are more guilty or culpable than that? Oh, that's that's a very good question. Um, I I'll say it like this, you know, just having experiences with record companies in general, the higher up you go, the less musical they are (laughs) in that way, like the mostly like record execs and it's changed over the years, but most record execs can't even keep rhythm. And so why I'm saying that is because I don't know if the estate really had the ear to know if it was Michael Jackson or not. And I think at a time when they really wanted it to be Michael Jackson, you know, it's almost like that thing that you, you where you see the the white or gold or whatever it is, the blue or gold dress or whatever. And it's whatever you want to see, but you see it one way or the other, or that thing where you can hear it a word a different way. Um, and certain people hear it one way or the other. I think with the estate, I feel like they were coming in, new and they had to generate money and so i think a lot of them wanted it to be michael jackson i don't i don't think they were like oh we know it's not michael jackson and we're we're, we don't care we're gonna do it anyway because it fooled a lot of people a lot of people that i consider have good ears it fooled so i don't think it's a matter of that i think it's a matter of wishing it was michael jackson and taking it on good faith that it was because here is Michael Jackson's, uh, um, here are quote unquote close friends of Michael Jackson saying that it's Michael Jackson, swearing that it's Michael Jackson, and saying that we have these songs that were written by Michael, or not written, but you know what I mean in terms of that. And, and so they took it on good faith, I would assume, but also because they wanted to take it on good faith because they had to produce money. At the time, I think now if if it, if the situation had happened now, it would be a different circumstance because they've generated so much money for the kids and for my grandma in, in a way that they feel more comfortable being in that driver's seat. I would say it was new, and and it, we were all kind of feeling around of like didn't know who was doing what, and everyone was suspicious of, that, of everyone. So it's a, it, it it was a weird time. So that's the thing I. I I would want to err on the side of, I don't know if they knew hundred percent, but we knew, you know, we kept telling them, you know, we, we knew right away in that way. But at the same time, they might've been suspicious of us because they might've thought we were trying to sabotage them as family members, trying to get them out, trying to keep them from doing something lucrative, which it plays in both ways. What did it do to your relationship with the Casios? You know, I, I still have, uh, it's, I have, a, uh, I've seen Frank around every once in a while, obviously not recently because of COVID, but through our circles, I've seen him around We're we've always been cordial. And, and there's something about Frank that I just, 
I don't know because he's the oldest or whatever. I just I've always liked Frank and I've all always respected Frank in that way. Just 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 me. I don't you guys don't have to or whatever. That that's just me. I've always there's something about Frank that I've always liked. But it really soured because it became us against them in in a way and it was pitted as that we were jealous of them and that we didn't like, you know, that we didn't have the musical talent to do what they did. And so that's why we're trying to tear them down, which is beyond the truth. And, and, you know, they even had platforms like Oprah that regurgitated the lie. And, and, and that bothered me even more because that did bother me. That was one of the things, cause I was like, for everything that we've done, we've never been on Oprah, you know? And then here's these people that, have fake songs on Michael Jackson and they're on Oprah. Their whole family's on Oprah. Well, not just them, but uh, Teddy as well, I think, yeah. went on Oprah. I yeah. mean, do you remain in touch? Because Teddy has kind of gone back and forth from saying they're real to saying they're fake to saying they're real to saying they're fake. He's kind of been a bit sort of schizophrenic on the issue. Do you have any relationship or does Tarrell still have any relationship with Teddy? I don't know if Terrell does still. I I, I never did. Um, I like Teddy. I've always liked Teddy. It was a disappointment when the when the songs came out, but I think he's a genius. I've always respected Teddy in terms of his producing ability. So it was just hard, but I feel like it's people were put in positions where it was almost like you have to say this or you have to say that, and if you already are doubting something and not a hundred percent sure. I think there's only a few people that were 100% sure it wasn't Michael. And that was my brothers and I and my grandma. You know, we were 100%. It wasn't even, there's no room for error in that. But other people were like, yeah, it doesn't really sound like him, right? Or this is kind of weird. Why is this, you know, why is this have so much vibrato? Uh, It's just, they had, but there was room for error. There's room for doubt. We didn't have that doubt. And I think that's different. So I can't. I can't comment on other people that have that doubt because they're not looking at it the same way I'm looking at it. Does that make sense or does that does it sound like Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean yeah. I was just thinking this whole time money is really the root of all evil that old saying. Money and, and it's not only money it's it's it's, it's opportunity and and mm. you know Teddy was Teddy at the time was it's he wasn't doing anything it's like and it's not that he wasn't talented Teddy's always been talented it's just the industry they have their flavor of the month and it's like this was a chance for him to be back in the spotlight so if you already have self doubt of like is it Michael is it not Michael you know what do you guys think and he's playing it for people that means he already had doubt but at the same time that means he wasn't hundred percent sure and then it's like but this is your big chance to come back and be seen and be known and let the the world know who Teddy Riley is again you know it's it, it's especially if you can go on Oprah and other things it's it's it, it's a hard stance to take but I think as time went by. You know, you start wondering and, and regretting certain things of like, you know, did I make the right decision here? And so that's the, that's the only thing I would. And those are all guesses, but that's what I would say. OK, let's take our first break to chat about one of our sponsors here at the MJ Cast. This episode of the MJ Cast is sponsored by Audible, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news business, and self-development. Head over to audibletrial.com slash the MJ cast and sign up for your one-month free trial 
and to get your free audiobook. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible Originals from a monthly selection. So head over to audibletrial.com slash themjcast and help the show by using our sponsor, Audible. Taj, moving on to the update in the HBO and MJ Estate case, you did a great job explaining on a YouTube appearance you did recently as well. But HBO's recently lost their appeal against the estate in this ongoing Leaving Neverland lawsuit. Did you want to give a little update on where you see that at the moment? And Charlie, if you want to follow up. I think Charles should start. I actually didn't okay. think I did a good job at all. That's why I was like, oh, thank you. I was I, I, I left that podcast. I was like, darn, I didn't do very well. Because that's why I don't like listening back to what I do. But then every, I read the comments. I was like, oh, you did well. But I didn't think I explained it well at all. So I, w- I would love Charles's um, thoughts on it uh, first. But I can tell okay. you my opinion after. Okay. So, of course, HBO with Channel 4 last year. Uh, suddenly dropped a bomb in uh, January that they were airing this TV show called uh, Leaving Neverland. And it was going to premiere at Sundance, featuring James Safechuck and Wade Robson making a series of allegations about Michael. Of course, because Michael is deceased, there is no defamation. The defamation laws don't protect deceased individuals, which means there is no legal recourse to uh, making allegations which are subsequently proved untrue or which cannot be proved true about a deceased individual. Interestingly, that is uh, perhaps why the narrative of Leaving Neverland is so different from the narrative of the lawsuit that they're bringing. So in the lawsuits that that they have repeatedly brought and lost against the uh, estate of Michael's companies, they allege that Michael's companies were responsible for Michael's behavior and that uh, all of Michael's businesses were in fact the world's most sophisticated child procurement pedophile ring and that uh, all of Michael's employees were complicit deliberately in procuring children for him and then covering up crimes. They have to bring the lawsuit in that way because they're out of time to uh, sue Michael's estate. And so the only entities that they can now sue are the ones that existed at the time um, of their alleged abuse. So what you find with these guys is they always will conform their stories to suit what, what the necessities are for that particular course of action. So in the court of law... Uh, where the only avenue is to blame the companies, they blame the companies. When you watch Leaving Neverland, which is four hours long, at no stage do they mention their argument that Michael's companies were a paedophile ring, that uh, his staff were all involved and complicit, because that would be defamatory, and they could be sued from here to Poughkeepsie. Whereas Michael cannot be defamed because he's dead. In the TV medium, it's all Michael's fault because the law says that that's the best way to do it. And in the court, it's all the employee's fault because in the court, the law says that that's the best way to do it. So thinking that they had been very clever, they make the whole four-hour TV show about Michael and what a demon he was and so on and so forth, thinking, well, we can't be sued, so fuck it. Uh, We won't even bother fact-checking, right? But 
In fact, HBO had forgotten that in 1992 it signed a deal with Michael Jackson to air uh, one of his dangerous concerts from Bucharest, and in the contract was a non-disparagement clause. So the contract says, as part of this agreement between HBO and Michael Jackson, HBO agrees that it will not disparage Michael Jackson in any way. So the estate dug out this contract and said, well, we can't go after them under uh, defamation laws because Michael's dead. But they're in breach of contract. They signed a contract saying they wouldn't disparage Michael. So that is the basis for the lawsuit that the estate has brought against HBO. Now, uh, initially the court, and importantly, the, just because of the way it's been misreported on purpose by a lot of the media, uh, who seem to be just copying and pasting a tweet by Dan Reed, the estate from day one with this lawsuit has been suing to compel public arbitration. Not private arbitration, public arbitration. So the estate is suing and saying, this is a, a breach of contract and we want this issue publicly arbitrated. HBO, in turn, is saying, this is First Amendment speech and we believe that the non-disparagement clause of the contract is over, is null and void because the concert was in 1992. So I was in court last November for the hearing where the judge chickened out and did a U-turn. So the judge had previously said, yes, this should be arbitrated. And then at the next hearing, suddenly did a U-turn and said, uh, I've decided to kick it over to the Court of Appeal. Was not really able to give any compelling reason why he'd done that. And essentially, the estate lawyers were saying it's because it, this is a high-profile case and uh, is complicated. And he's just trying to boot it into someone else's garden effectively i was in court hbo were arguing that the contract is null and void the estate's response to that was well hang on a minute this contract has copyright clauses in it so for example you're not showing dangerous live in bucharest every day and not paying us any money so if it's one contract, so if the copyright section of the contract remains intact and you are unable to just freely broadcast this contract without paying us any money, why is the non-disparagement clause of the exact same contract, according to you, null and void? And this was the issue that they were arguing about, and the uh, ruling which has come down this month is the Court of Appeal has uh, agreed with what the, the judge originally said and said, no, you're right. The contract is active. The contract has not expired. Therefore, in line with the contract, uh, this matter must be publicly arbitrated. The Court of Appeal has not said that uh, the estate is in the right in terms of um, whether it is disparagement which would breach the contract. It has merely said the contract is not null and void and thereby in accordance with the terms of the contract, this issue must be arbitrated. Uh, and so that's what's now likely to happen, although I'm sure HBO will, uh, will try to appeal and appeal and appeal to prevent that public arbitration from happening, whilst fraudulently telling the media that the estate is seeking private arbitration, which is just an out-and-out -out lie. It's such an easy thing to fact-check, and like that's never been in dispute. It's so bizarre. 
Well, it's literally on page one of, of the document. It's on page one of the lawsuit. It says that the estate is suing to compel public arbitration. I mean, it's in big, bold letters it, on the front page of the lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, and Michael Jackson and fact-checking, you know, when it comes to, to the media, those are different words in that way. And it's, as you said, it's, it's on page one, but I don't even think they want to look at it in that way. They'll just take someone else's word for it. Charles, thank you for that. That was what well, <laughs> I would have not even been able to do half of that. Um, but it's the expert. He's yeah, so I was going to say, <laughs> but I can tell you that like just behind the scenes, what was so frustrating was we gave HBO so many ways out in terms of, we let them know we let, we, we made them aware. It's like, Hey, this is not true. Don't, you know, don't release this. Every time we said something, it's like they just gave us the legal middle finger. And so it's almost like you reap what you sow. And I think they were coming off the high of, the, you know, Game of Thrones was ready to premiere. So they were feeling mighty strong in that way. And, um, and they had the media behind them as well, because the media didn't want to upset the big giant HBO who was just about to release Game of Thrones because, Heaven forbid it, you know, the, the last season was any good, which it wasn't. But if it was good, then all the stars would have not done interviews with half those publications. So HBO had the media in their back pocket, which was unfortunate at the time. And so it was a frustrating thing because the media was just spitting whatever HBO said out. And a good example would be, um, I know Brett Barnes contacted HBO and asked for his name to not be in Leaving Neverland because it was not true. And they gave him the middle finger, uh, well, the literal middle finger when it came down to it. So I think they just didn't care. There's still so far to go in that case, like the Casio one that's been going on for, that's been going on for years. And this one possibly as well will go for yeah. a long time to come. I'm I'm happy that it's public that the estate is fighting for public um, arbitration. I think that's incredible because, um, as I have said in, in a tweet, one side is fighting to hide things from the public; the other side is fighting to let everything be known in that way. And I think that says a lot. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, you know it's uh, is is very interesting to watch. Uh, particularly the litigation involving uh dan reed because of course um in the not the hbo lawsuit but in the civil suits that uh wade and jimmy are bringing against michael's uh companies the estate or the companies the lawyers for team jackson have tried to um order the release the disclosure of a lot of material that was created for um for leaving neverland so outtake footage etc emails so on and so forth and they're mm -hmm. fighting tooth and nail to prevent the release of that material and they're citing the journalistic shield the journalistic shield law i just find that really fascinating because that law is designed to prevent journalists from having to betray their sources so for example if you interview somebody who whistleblows a major corporation about criminality or corruption, and you know that naming that source will lead to them being fired from their job, being sued, perhaps being prosecuted, then that law exists to allow you to protect your sources. 
there is no such argument in the creation of Leaving Neverland. I mean, only, uh, I mean, Dan Reed has given interview after interview after interview for over a year in which he speaks freely about exactly how this documentary was made and gladly admits that, oh yeah, I just found out that these two guys were suing Michael Jackson, flew out and met them, interviewed them on camera, interviewed their families, believed everything they said, and they made a film out of it. That, I mean, that's, I mean, there's no secrecy there. There's no covert sources that he needs to protect. So essentially, it leaves the question open as to what are they trying to get out of disclosing? Um, because there is no legitimate use of the journalistic shield law in this case. I am a journalist, and I'm absolutely vociferously in, in support of the journalistic shield law to protect sources for public interest journalism. There is nothing here that needs to be protected which that law is designed to protect. There is no danger to anybody from releasing this footage. The only danger that it could possibly pose is if there is even more material which, like that which is contained within the TV show, undermines what they're saying, undermines or contradicts what they've said in their lawsuits. So it, what Dan Reed now looks to be doing, effectively, is becoming an agent of the two men he's supposed to have made an impartial documentary about. He's effectively become like their defender, and he is now abusing the journalistic shield law to try to protect them. And similarly, then you see on the other side, very peculiar behavior by the lawyers representing Wade and Jimmy, which you, when you look at it, it's like the only conceivable reason they would be doing what they're doing is to try to help Dan Reed. So uh, Finaldi, the lawyer for Wade and Jimmy, filed a motion trying to force Johnny Spencer's family to give them a copy of every single photograph that was ever taken of Johnny Spence as a child, which is a ludicrous, a completely ludicrous thing to ask for. And also, what's the point? What is the evidential value in a lawsuit about Wade and Jimmy being supposedly molested of thousands of photographs of Johnny Spence having birthday parties and Christmases and going on vacations with his parents. What is the evidential value of those photographs? There is no evidential value. So it's a completely bizarre motion, one that was doomed to fail and did fail. But when I was thinking about it, I, the only reason I could think of that that would be of any use to anybody is for Dan Reed, because it, it provides Dan Reed with all of these photographs, which would then become court exhibits and thus copyright free. And so he would now, in the same way that he spoke about Brett Barnes in uh, the TV show before, in the same way that he spoke about Macaulay Culkin, it would provide him with all of this B-roll to start talking about Johnny Spence. So, but, but it, it, that's the only conceivable use for those photographs. Those photographs are of absolutely no use whatsoever in a lawsuit about Wade and Jimmy supposedly being molested. What is the value of a photograph of Johnny Spence at his seventh birthday party eating a slice of cake? What is the value? That it's useless. I think that theory is a very good theory. Yeah, I, I can't, I cannot conceive of any reason for filing that motion other than as a favour to Dan Reed, And so it's very interesting to watch 
what should be an impartial process if Dan Reed, as he has said, is making now a follow-up to Leaving Neverland, although he's clearly pinned his colours to the mast, and although he, on rare occasions, will claim that he is impartial, he has made it very clear that he's not impartial. I think actions speak louder than words. Yeah, and, and it's a symbiotic relationship they've got going on. They, they seem to be doing favours for each other. He's trying to withhold all of this material, which threatens to contradict or undermine the testimony of Wade and Jimmy. And in return, Wade and Jimmy's lawyers are demanding ludicrous amounts of, of evidence from somebody who's not even a party in their case, which serves absolutely no value as evidence in that case, but would be gold dust to Dan Reed. I mean, it's just a theory. This is just my opinion. But it does seem to me that the two sides are involved in a, a symbiotic relationship there. I think that's been pretty clear looking from the outside in like that even photo shoots that look like a bizarre album sort of release like i said before his actions speak louder than words and it's never from looking in seemed impartial at all and i think when both sides of this story gets told it's really going to shine a light on all of this and and i think probably a good opportunity now to ask Taj for an update on the Truth Runs Marathons project. Yeah. What's the, what I know this year has really thrown <laughs> a few spanners into works and slowed things down a, a lot. Can you give us an update on the project, please, Taj? Yeah. Um, you know, th- this year has been, it's been really hard, but it also has been a blessing in disguise in terms of, just when this project was first approached, it was more of a reactionary approach in terms of Leaving Neverland had just come out. A lot of it, people were still learning about in terms of what was true, what was not true, how could we prove it? And throughout these last, I would say, two years, things have changed in a way. The tide has turned. A lot of people would disagree with me, but just as someone that goes on message boards all the time and whether it's YouTube and reads the comment section of just anything Michael Jackson and just and I've I've got become very good at spotting a Michael Jackson fan versus just a public comment. And I can tell you when Leaving Neverland dropped, it was it was very, very different in that way. And so the project that Charles and I are working on with um, some other people would have been, if we would have continued down this path in 2020 without COVID, the project would be very different. It would be very, a lot of things have been already uncovered and proven wrong. And now a lot of the public has that doubt, which is something that they didn't have before. What was needed was just doubt. And then, um, okay, let, now that you have some doubt, maybe some reasonable thinking can happen after that. But um, the tide has turned in that way. So saying all of that has given me a chance, um, 2020, to kind of reassess the direction of it. And I've said that in, in various updates on on YouTube and stuff like that. But something that became more of like um, a court document where it's like, that was the prosecution, now we're the defense, we get to go next. It's now become, okay, let's put 
the watcher or listener, the whoever's in that seat, let's put them in the world of Michael Jackson. Let's put them in the mind of Michael Jackson of what someone who no one has ever been able to duplicate in certain things in terms of records, in terms of popularity. Let's put them in that scene of you didn't live Michael Jackson's life, so you don't know what he went through. You don't know what he was like. You are just going off of what reports say or what uh, journalists or media's stab at him would be looking from the outside in. And so what I decided to do, which I've, I've said in the past, is, is basically let's see it through the eyes of Michael Jackson. All these trials and tribulations whether it's, you know, the 93, 94 scenario, I shouldn't say scenario. Um, uh, what's it called? Bra- the well, Chandler case. Yeah, I, I call it the, what, what's the word I call it? Not bribery, but, you know, um, extortion. Extortion attempt. Yeah, yeah that's the, the extortion. Well, it wasn't attempt. It was an extortion. It was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, um, you know, whether it's that or the 2005 trial, one of the problems that with all this, that we're seeing in terms of when you cover Michael Jackson, you're always covering it from the angle of this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened, which is great. And that's going to be in this too, in this project, but also not, this is what happened, but cause and effect. This is what happened. And this is what it did to Michael Jackson to make him do this X, Y, and Z, you know, afterwards, because he changed as a person from, and, I don't want to give too much away because I'm already started to give a lot away. And I've noticed that by doing that, certain people like kind of try and counter what I'm, what I'm trying to do. But I will say this, when you take someone on that journey, people will understand Michael Jackson better. When you understand Michael Jackson better, I've seen it with the people that have defended him in the public, just random people, not fans, but random people. They have an understanding of who Michael Jackson truly was as opposed to who the media painted him to be. And I think that is essential if you're going to make any headroom or any leeway in terms of changing the narrative. And so it's just the it's the way I'm going to approach it is different, but it still will have all the debunking, all the, you know, the who's who of what and all the people that tried to destroy him in the media and all that stuff. It still will have all of that, but it will also it, it will take in, into account what that did to Michael Jackson. And that will be through uh, fans, um, friends, family, um, and, um, coworkers, people that were around him at that time that can kind of talk about that. It's just a different approach, but it, it's basically the same thing. But it's allowed me to kind of make that switch because if people aren't invested in Michael Jackson, and I'm not talking about the fans because the fans are you know, obviously invest. I'm talking about the public. If they don't care about Michael Jackson, they're not going to watch a project on Michael Jackson. I don't want to call this a documentary because I think a documentary, as we've been fighting, should be very much balanced and two sides. This is more of, I call it a project because I want the world to see who Michael Jackson truly was in that way. And, and it pains me because I've I know there's a project already called The Real Michael Jackson, and, and that really annoys me because that one's not a great representation at all. It's it's very tabloidy and all that stuff. But it is that aspect of it because 
you learn the most by stories like what I'm telling and all that stuff or my brother TJ when he was on recently on your podcast. It's like those are the stories of filling in the blanks of who Michael Jackson truly was because once you know that thing, you're like, there's no way he would have done this. That's not That goes against his character. That goes against his nature. But people forget and you have to remind them. I've never been more pumped about it in that way. Just Taylor was one of the inspirations of why I wanted to fight um, leaving Neverland. And, you know, obviously I just made the announcement that Tyana's pregnant again. It's, it's almost like a double down in a way. I'm, I'm super excited because not only has the tide started to change in that way, I can feel the wind behind me now. And that is something that is super exciting for me. I've behind the scenes been kind of collecting an all-star team of people that are going to contribute and help with this. So, cause I know for sure me alone can do this. And I think that there's certain people that have proven that they are such a um, a prized possession commodity to the community of Michael Jackson, but also the narrative and story of Michael Jackson. So it's going to be super exciting. Um, I would love for people just, my goal would be a random person that just watched this and was like, wow, I never knew he had it like that, that it was that his life was that difficult and then want to pop one of his songs on and play it or watch a performance of his and see it through those eyes again. And the only time that ever happened was when he passed in 2009. There was that little resurgence of people that kind of looked at it through a different lens because death does that. It may, you know, it brings a human aspect to it. But now that times have passed, they've managed to make him a caricature again, a cartoon character and, and, we always have to remind people that this was a live human being that walked this earth that was trying to spread love and and joy and healing through music. And so that's basically, it's, it's, it's going to be a hard, it is going to be a hard, long project, but at the same time, it's going to be so rewarding. Correcting that narrative, not just for the public, like you said, but also for, his great nieces that he sadly never got to meet your your or who knows what your next baby will be but you know for taylor who was an inspiration for this correcting that narrative so that she can grow up and know who her great uncle was 100 years from now 200 years from now like that's it's i can hear my uncle in my head basically saying in terms of because he was a great studier of the arts and he would read biographies of, of certain whether it's uh, sculptors or artists or or painters, and it's just he would he would dissect that and read that, and so I'm looking at it like okay, 200 years from now or 100 years from now, someone's going to read about Michael Jackson or watch this. I want them to have the best picture of Michael Jackson, but also not sugarcoat. As one of the things that me and Charles talked about way early in this project was, we're not going to sugarcoat over certain things because that happened in his life. I think it's unfair to just sugarcoat over things or just bypass things because you don't want to talk about them. It's like that was part of him that affected him. Yeah, people are who they are because of struggles and troubles and and people are human that they've gone through (laughs) and their flaws. That's who they are. That's the complete person. And people will learn that, and people will get to know Mm -hmm. that, and and I think that will complete him in in a way because I think he was so larger than life that it was easy. For people to jump to certain conclusions of like, if you're not familiar, Neverland can sound like a, a horrible place, which it's completely the opposite. Anyone that's visited there, anyone that's spent 
20 seconds there knows that it's not. But if you're describing something and you describe it and that's the narrative, that will always be the narrative until it changes. A huge project that, like you said, you can't do it all on your own. You're getting that amazing team to help add in their expertise. But also, and I know that this is common in your family, your brother's just the other day talking to TJ, like you really had to draw the marketing part out of him. He's like, oh God, my marketing guy will shoot me if I don't mention subscribing on Spotify and stuff. (laughs) And I know you're very humble and the same, so I will do it for you. Oh yeah. You also need support from the community. You have your GoFundMe which yeah. is active and there's a link in the show notes and you can't pay for this yourself. This is a huge project. So you really do need the support of the community and donations for the GoFundMe. And I can see that there are still donations trickling in. I can see there's been over the last couple of days, you know, yeah. here and there, $20, $30, $100, which is terrific. Um, so I'll do the marketing for yeah. you because I know you get uncomfortable so grateful with for this. Them all. Um, but folks, please, what a great Christmas present for Michael's legacy. If you have anything, and I know this is a hard year, I know personally this has been a hard year financially, that if you did have any spare that you could donate to the project uh, Truth Runs Marathons, the GoFundMe, the link for the GoFundMe is in the show notes. And it would be a huge, huge help for this project. I do want to say one thing that with COVID-19 in existence, it felt really wrong for me to like promote the GoFundMe. There came a point where um, GoFundMe, they were switching over, I think, servers or something. I was contemplating because of the scenario, and I know people are hurting and all that stuff, I let it lapse, the the project lapse in a way. And so it went offline for, I think, two weeks or whatever, because I just didn't want to, I just felt guilty, like asking people for money. But then for those two weeks, the opposite happened. People started panicking and going, you know, are you still doing the project? You know, are you, is the project still happening? And, and I didn't want to give actually fodder to to certain people that were like, see, I told you it's never going to happen, which is what I also received. People going, you know, you're a scam and all that stuff. And so I put it back on in that way, but it was it was reluctant in that way. Because if honestly, if I could do it myself and with one camera, I would have done that. It has to have a certain standard. I have to I have my uncle's legacy in my mind as well, like something that he would do. But at the same time, I don't want this to take forever. And I don't want it to be something where I'm over there setting up the lights and then putting the the microphone on someone or whatever. And it takes four times as long to do something because that's four times as long that it'll take for me to get it to you guys. Money does help in that scenario. It really does in that way. And And so just on that point, you know, there was, an A&E documentary that was supposed to come out in June this year to mark the 15-year anniversary of the verdicts in the Michael Jackson trial. And it was a four-hour documentary, which was supposed to, you know, it was a huge project. And they had already interviewed most of the people they needed to interview. They interviewed Mesereau. I spoke to uh, Bill Robles a couple of months ago. Uh, they'd interviewed him. I spoke to Rudy Provencio a couple of months ago. They'd approached him. He told them to piss off. They had approached uh, Hamid. 
Miss Leahy. I know they had spoken to Diane Diamond. They'd spoken to Zonan. I mean, the list was huge of the people that they had approached and or successfully spoken to. And it was pretty much made. And COVID has shut that down. That thing was ready to, you know, COVID hit in March. That thing was due out in June. They'd been working on it for a long time. It was pretty much done. And COVID has shut that down. It's not come out. So people that are kind of like trashing Taj and saying, oh, you know, what a feeble excuse, you know, COVID. I mean, <laughs> COVID, is, <laughs> COVID is shutting down gigantic television productions, which were right on the verge of release. So it would be ridiculous to expect this thing to be moving forward at this time particularly also given that because of the nature of the the project a lot of the people that we need to speak to would be considered vulnerable uh and yeah. would need to be shielding right now and it would be deeply irresponsible for Taj or anyone to be trying to go around there and interview them so you know it is a necessary delay to the project and an, an unavoidable one. Yeah, thank you. It, it is a necessary delay, and I think that's been the hardest thing. But I've made uh, the most of the time in that way in terms of just kind of reassessing certain things. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about the project in terms of what I can do to make this a better project. I keep molding it because there's certain things in, as Charles, as you said, in terms of there's certain things that are either in the cusp of being released or People are working on that. I'm not allowed to tell people, but that I've been interviewed for or asked questions about in terms of certain things. So there's certain things that I know in terms of where the narrative is going to go as well, or certain things are going to be released because let's face it, Square One did something in terms of the narrative that if I would have tried to beat Square One or whatever, as opposed to contributing and helping with an interview, which is all I did, you know, everyone else did a lot more, but I'm saying that I'd be going over the same point, which some of the points are very important to go over, but if you're doing the same exact thing as someone else, they might as well watch square one. And so I took approach of like, okay, that's great in terms of certain things that they're covering and whatever, but then I'm going to also take that human approach and see it through Michael's friends and family and fans and and co-workers of people that were around him and how did he react to it? How did it affect them? How did it change him? Because I think that's what people really want to know. It's like, not what happened, but what did it do to Michael Jackson from that? Because I can tell you from just witnessing 2005, the trial, being there at Neverland every day, watching him go through, like Groundhog's Day, go through hell and tr trauma, listening to people lie about him, he was never the same again after that. Never the same again. And I can understand, as much as I loved Neverland, Neverland was never the same again. It's one of those things that I think people seeing it through his eyes will be, will be one of the first times that people have really been able to, through friends and family and everyone else that I just mentioned before, get to see a complete picture of what this man had to go through. And how he kept being not only optimistic and loving, but trying to help the world. You know, you would think he'd be the biggest pessimistic person alive and angry. And, you know, he, certain songs he was angry in, as you can tell, but he used that as fuel and fire. But I'm talking about being that way to people. He was never that way. Fans have been busy this year and 
over the last couple of years also making um, documentaries released on YouTube and such. Two that I can mention now, there's an improved version of Loving Neverland with real narration. Um, yes, people yeah. helped out the, the people that made this yes. by um, donating their time and their voices. And also, helpfully, it's actually released as like a almost like a docu-series. There's now four parts instead of one large, great... Um, concept all in one thing it's now in part one two three and four we've got the links in the show notes and there's also another one in process by jin chohan he's raising money for Mm -hmm. a documentary in support of michael's innocence uh that project's called trial by media the michael jackson story Taj, I'm not sure if you've heard about Jin. He also premiered a documentary on the allegations in Los Angeles, like Danny Wu did for Square One. Yeah. So we've also got a link for the fundraising in our show notes, which is mjcast.com. Or if you're listening on a podcast app, you can open up the show notes and links are active there as well. Just a general question, how important is it that fans are really putting in effort and making their own documentaries during these times as well, Taj and Charlie? For me, it, it's amazing. I mean, it's one of those things that I've, I've had people approach me. I can't mention any names, but worrying because I've done interviews with a lot of these people and say, why are you, t- why are you talking to them that's going to hurt your project? And I've never looked at it that way. I've never looked at it as like, well, I can't tell stories to them or for them because I want my project to be the best. No, I, I'm in it for my uncle's legacy and for my uncle. I, if It'd be the greatest thing if something came out and changed the, the outlook of everything just before I even got to finish mine. I mean, I'd still release it as an additive, but... I, I want to help as many people as I can with their projects in, in that way, if, whether it's interviewing them or giving them advice or whatever. It's I'm in it for my uncle in that way, not for any other gain. And so I commend the fans. I think it's I honestly think it's amazing that they're doing that. I know you used the word amazing already, but it really is because it shows the love and it shows the commitment. And I know with Loving um, Neverland, I think she had been – she just like jumped into it, like literally jumped into it right after leaving Neverland in terms of that and became a fan and started doing the research and, and put it together through blood, sweat and tears. And I think that's just incredible in that way, because I've always thought, okay, well it's, it's always got to be these long time fans. And Danny's another one that's proven that it's, it's, a lot of the younger generation, but a lot of people that aren't the, I shouldn't say diehard because that sound, I hate that word, but I also love that word. Uh, but it, it, I hate putting people in categories. But I think what I'm saying is people, certain people just want justice for Michael Jackson. And I think that's commendable. As a family, we're so appreciative of it. I, I don't think it's the duty of the fans. Uh, and they shouldn't no. really be having to do it. True. And it <laughs> is unfortunate and damning that there are documentaries on YouTube by fans which are better researched than documentaries mm. which are aired on major broadcasters. And uh, I find that quite depressing. 
Um, I mean, you know, if somebody wants to to do it, then good luck. And uh, you know, I hope that they uh, enjoy doing it and are successful. But it, I just find it depressing that they have to do it. You know, it just sort of is a, a damning indictment of uh, the media, really. There was one that came out. I'm trying to remember when it was on now. It might have been around last Christmas. It was the the new Jacques Peretti documentary. Uh, it mm. might have been the one called the real Michael. Did they call it the real Michael I think, Jackson? I think that's. I think that's uh, the one that they called the what real. What a Michael piece Jackson. of shit! Yeah. I mean, BBC yeah. as well. BBC, you know, yeah. absolute fucking disgrace. Just makes me sick, really. I'm always amazed at the talent of um, self fan made documentaries, like the work that goes into it, the research, the editing, the, where they draw things from, and also just. Just the, they reach out to people. They're not afraid to reach out to people and say, would you speak on this? Would you, you know, contribute to this? I'm always amazed at that. And people will come across it on YouTube that maybe wouldn't have in another way. And I think that's a good thing. I, I've seen that a lot with people on, on YouTube. There's there's a whole resurgence of people that have discovered Michael Jackson through YouTube, whether it's a music video whether it's just hearing his music through recommendations of uh, you like this, so check out this, and then they go down that rabbit hole. I commend the fans, and I think the difference between the fans and the networks doing these documentaries is one is doing it out of passion and love or um, a sense of justice, and the other is doing it for ratings and monetary um, reasons and I think yeah, that's the difference. Hundred percent. And agree. Hundred. That's and that passion shows and 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 people feel that passion, which is one of the reasons, you know, with the project that I'm working on, it's like I have to tap into that passion of why I'm doing this. I'm doing this for my daughter and for my uncle, which is what he did for me in terms of in general my whole life. It's like if I can make that difference to change the narrative, to cement the narrative, which is something I, I, I like that word even better. Oh, I love that. Cement the narrative. I love that. I'd be honored to do that. And it would be the best gift that I could give him. And so that's what I'm doing it for. I don't even know where to go after that. That was really well said. <laughs> so well said. Um, <laughs> talking on YouTube, I think, you know, even this year, there's been a few official MJ things come out on YouTube. There was the Heal the World 2020, They Don't Care About Us 2020, and that would have attracted some attention and new people as well. They were official projects on YouTube, some better than others. I didn't love yes. the Heal the World one. I mm -hmm. did love the They Don't Care yeah. About Us 2020. I thought that was really well done, speaking on important social issues so the estate haven't slept all year. I know they haven't put in a huge amount of effort, which is not um, out of character when it comes to things like this. But I guess we have got a few things to talk about. Heal the World 2020, they don't care about us. They even put ghosts officially on YouTube, the entire long-form film in decent quality. They did acknowledge History 25. Gents, did you want to comment on any of these specific projects this year? This was 2020. Well, uh, I, I didn't love the Heal the World thing just because some of the B-roll 
they used I found slightly bizarre. Given the message of the song, you would think that they would be focusing on footage of key workers helping people and that kind of thing, as opposed to close-ups of people sanitizing their hands or just a bizarre stock footage. The They Don't Care About Us thing I thought was quite good, but still, for me... I mean, I would have, if it, if I was in charge, I would have just made it like five times more aggressive. But um, for example, I thought it was strange that in the whole thing there was no George Floyd. That uh, I found that strange. Do you know what was great? That I, my favorite thing this year was the the Spike Lee live stream, where um, it all went tits up, <laughs> and so they were they were live streaming Spike Lee like shouting, going, "Why is the fucking video not playing properly?" You know, and that that was just hilarious. What else did they do? They, oh, some t-shirts. Box, yeah, t-shirts um, for History Twenty Five. That was about the extent of their um, yeah celebration of that incredible album. You know, I I have some sympathy for the non-release of stuff because. In my own opinion, at the moment, it would be very difficult for them to release a project without instigating an immediate counter campaign from sort of Me Too type people, people demanding that it be cancelled, bombarding the record label with complaints, uh, which w- would it, be yeah. picked up by the media. You know, the media would be reporting on, you know, a furious you know militant me too loony 91715 on twitter said what a disgrace you know blah 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 so the media would be primed whatever they released right now to join in a campaign to destroy it and so i do think the landscape into which they're releasing something at the moment is is uh adverse and that it's not going to be an ideal time to release anything until such time as the Robson Safechuck situation has been neutralized legally, whether that be by the cases just being thrown out once and for all, or a trial commencing and uh, the estate emerging victorious, which is not a given because there is no burden of proof in a civil court. Burden of proof in a civil court is literally a coin toss. Uh, is more likely than not. So if you as a juror are 50.00001% convinced uh, by Wade Robson, then you find Michael culpable. So a civil court is not an ideal place in which to hold a trial of this nature, because although the burden of proof is no better than a coin toss, it will of course be construed by the media as damning guilty verdict proof that Michael was a molester, blah blah So there's still a long way to go before it's going to be sort of a safe landscape into which... I mean, the media has always been adverse to Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson products, except when they have fake songs on. But the landscape is worse than it's ever been right now, apart from maybe a year ago today. The other thing is, I just don't know what people think is going to come out. You know, I saw somebody had, mo- I think it was Casey Rain today, tweeted a picture of a mocked up History 25 box set. And it had like these inla- inlays called like The Vault Part 1, The Vault Part 2. It's like, what do you think is in The Vault from History? There's nothing in The Vault from History. The, the, the five best vault tracks from History came out on Blood on the Dance Floor. 
Much Too Soon was a history track which is now out on the Michael album. Everything else I've ever heard that's a history outtake is just a uh, an instrumental with no vocals or completely unfinished and unreleasable. So the, that's the other issue, is people are assuming that there's stuff to release. But the, it might be that there's not, you know, with the Prince thing just came out, Sign of the Times box set, it had something like 50 unreleased songs on it. And I just think that if people think that there are 50 unreleased songs from history, they're, on, they're in cloud cuckoo land, that doesn't exist. So that's the other issue, is, is what is it that the fans think they should be releasing? because I'm skeptical as to how much is left in the vault. You know, after years of anniversary releases, then the Ultimate Collection, then two posthumous albums, it's like, I'm not convinced there is that much left to release. So I've waffled on a bit there, but that's that's sort of my take on it. I think it, it's also hard because, yeah, I mean, there is, I know they get, get slammed a lot for the quality, you know, aspect of it in terms of, um, that so it's hard to um i did like ghost um i did that live stream when ghost was really re-released i thought that was really well done in terms of um the releasing that as a surprise for halloween but yeah that was well done in that way i i'm putting my artist hat on and it's hard because there's so many things that can when you release stuff and you, you have to have things mapped out and as Charles said, when, when the media is, you already have a bullseye on your back and they're waiting for you to fail or boycott something, it also makes it hard. I can understand in, in a way why they are hesitant to put something out. I think um, just with the James news in terms of his thing being kind of thrown out, it I, I noticed there was like a shift in terms of people speaking up for Michael Jackson more and this and that. So I think with every positive thing that happens, every kind of step or checklist, more and more people become more, um, come out of the, their hiding spot and, and will say something or become more vocal. It's, it's just, it's timing with it, with anything when, when it comes to marketing, it's always timing. So you have felt that definitely as well. There has been a somewhat positive shift in, when there has been a development, people are sort of like, yeah, just let this go already. You know, he's been deceased for so long and it's been, you know, dodgy since the start with this kind of thing. And, you know, his music's back on the radio again. You still see a couple of T-shirts for sale here and there from different places. So you have noticed that sort of positive shift as well, Taj? The short answer is yes. I think that the the most lonely um hardest time was when leaving neverland hit and it, even the 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 upcoming weeks beforehand because the narrative was already kind of planted and 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 ran with as a family member it just it was very lonely cuz everyone was kind of scared to say something and we didn't you know we didn't know who we can count on in terms of speaking up Certain people were saying things and getting kind of putting their foot in their mouth, you know, and so they would stop and the media would twist their words and stuff like that. If it wasn't for the fans and and their loyalty, but not only their loyalty, their strength, I think last year would have been a, a nightmare for all of us in terms of the family. But when you have the fans that were so supportive in that way, it helps so much. And I think that 
yes, the wind has changed. And because certain people didn't believe it, but they were so scared to speak up because you had Me Too and Time's Up. It was like almost like if you said anything against their narrative, you were branded, uh, you know, a sympathizer or this or that. And, and, and so it scared everyone away from commenting for the opposing side. It was like you couldn't have another side. They bullied you into the side. Or if you did have another side, you just didn't say anything. And so it really seemed a lot dire than it was because in private, I had people on Twitter DMing me saying, I don't believe it, you know, so just wanted you to know that. But publicly, they couldn't say that. And so I always felt a little more optimistic than I'm sure everyone else felt because I saw the love. It was just hiding, you know, behind the scenes. Now people are becoming more, I don't even want to say the word courageous. They're just, they know it's like their gut already told them. Now they have facts to back it up through things like all the things that were released, whether it was Square One or Loving Never. Like all these things contribute to people because they already get they get reassurance of, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Or, yeah, I knew that all along and you're not going to change my mind now. But, um, yeah, things have definitely um, been better in in that way. And I think the next year is going to be even better because... I, I won't make this political, but this country that I live in, in it was in a negative space for for a long period of time. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm just talking about just in terms of I truly believe who's running the country sets the tone of what your mind is and what you're what you're looking at. And and it was very that tone was very don't trust anyone. Everyone's bad, you know, in, in that way. And I think Leaving Neverland came out at the perfect time to capitalize on that, where it was like, okay, this person you thought was one way, well, he's not. And and that we're going to run with this and you're not allowed to say anything different. And I want to also say, which is was very disappointing to me, and I've said this before, but it was the liberal media that were the ones with the pitchforks a lot of the time. Me being someone that consider myself liberal in terms of like open to a bunch of different things, it was very hard for me to see people that I quote unquote thought I admired go after my uncle or my family in a way when they didn't even know us. Yeah, that's that's a it's a prevailing trend in the media, which is that the the people who are supposedly left wing and liberal are actually not because they're so obsessed with demonstrating how liberal they are that they will never side against an alleged victim for an example because it's just not the done thing so actually the liberal position now is to destroy the burden of proof and the presumption of innocence and just assume everybody's guilty and throw them in prison with no evidence that is now the liberal position and anybody who says, oh, hang on a minute, shouldn't we see if there's any evidence first, is a Nazi. Now, that's the that's the, <laughs> the way the polls have shifted. It's unbelievable, and it's really, really frightening, but that is the society in which we're living at the yeah. moment. Anybody who says, oh, shouldn't we have a fair trial and examine the evidence and only assume guilt if there's but proof beyond a reasonable doubt, that person is now a Nazi. They're evil. They are a lunatic. They're dangerous. And the person who is the liberal is the person who says, oh, what, there's been an allegation with no evidence. We'll chop his bollocks off then. That's the liberal yeah. position now. So it's a really frightening world in which we're living. 
yeah, anyone that has the audacity to basically say, shouldn't we wait and see? They're hung up and, you know, and, and it's just like, as you said, it's very scary in that way because it, it makes people not want to speak up. And that's what happened with, definitely with what happened with Leaving Neverland. There were so many people that were so scared. And, they, and the media made examples of a lot of people that were trying to come to Michael's defense Barbara Streisand uh, put her foot in her mouth. Well, that, and yeah, her, she, her, what she said was pretty bad. But, uh, you know, exactly. That's your example. But, it, but Diana Ross. Uh, no, but I'm saying bo- both of like, sh- they made an example like, you don't dare try and stick up for Michael Jackson. And yes, she did put her foot in her mouth and used completely wrong example. I'm not saying the, the text was right. I'm saying that. It was that was a shot fired of like you don't come out and defend Michael, and it, I know a lot of people saw that because she was one of the earlier ones to come out quick, and I think that was kind of like no we're not we're not on that page we're not doing that because I think she said something before I even came to England she had already yeah so um so it's just it's it, it's it's um and then I know Diana Ross um did as well and hers was much better. <laughs> Yeah, um, she still got yeah. trashed. I mean, she got completely trashed. They, they, I mean, from Madonna got trashed. Boy George got trashed for you know just just saying we should wait or whatever. That was not the opinion that you could have. You know, it's like no, no, you have to side with us. The one thing I can't stand is hypocrites. If you're consistent, I might disagree with you. I might go, okay, well, we have different of opinion. But when you're when I see some hypocrisy in your way, that's why Judd Apatow like bothers me so much. He's throwing stones at Michael Jackson when he's got his own class windows to to attend to in terms of his own circle, his own friends. And so that bothers me more than anything. And that kind of I noticed that the Me Too movement slash Time's Up movement stopped when allegations of our um, new president started happening in terms of, you know, when when that became a chess game in that way, all of a sudden the media decided, okay, we're not going to report on these anymore, whether they're true or false, which I don't think it's true, but I'm just saying that they don't, it didn't matter at that point because it was just news, but now they decided they made a, uh, an effort to not report on something and, and they do that all the time, but that was very blatant. Yeah. And the, the me too movement sort of transformed in a way over time to become quite a white middle-class histrionic movement uh it started as a sort of a, a grassroots movement and became increasingly yeah. sort of uh racialized and um and sort of lost its way in my opinion and it was interesting the way the movement shift it was it's interesting the cases that the that the me too movement does put light on and the cases that it doesn't put light on and the people who are accused that they highlight and the people that are accused that they don't highlight and in my opinion there is a significant racial element involved overwhelmingly i'm aware that the founder tarana burke of course is african-american but I, she is not in control of the movement anymore it's taken on a life of its own and i think one of the uh the moments that was really really shocking was when um jimmy kimmel's wife or girlfriend posted on twitter saying will somebody please go and burn down neverland ranch Mm -hmm. firstly the uh racial undertones to that similarities to 
lynching, the burning of crosses, etc. But also, you know, as I was saying about this liberal, supposed liberalism. So liberalism now is assuming somebody's guilty with no evidence and publicly inciting people to go and destroy their property. That is liberalism now. And to say, hang on a minute, where's the evidence? That is Nazism now. That is the society in which we're living and it's terrifying and it's really, really dangerous. And it's something that needs to be reversed because we're moving towards a form of anarchy. And if it keeps moving in this direction, there will be no burden of proof. There will be no presumption of innocence. It, it would just be yeah. anarchy and vigilantism. That's, that's where we're heading. And it's, it's really frightening. Definitely. Especially with the history that America has with false allegations when it comes to black people taking the word of someone and then re and then realizing later that they they've either recanted their story many 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 years later or they flat out lied i think there's just many um examples of that and there's many people in jail today or in prison today from lies or tainted evidence when it comes to black culture and and so i think to ignore that was is very dangerous and say, okay, well, we're just going to believe anyone that says anything because that is not how it should work. Taj, really good points. Really good. Thank you so much for those and Charles, yours as well. And I know that we could probably uh, keep expanding or circling back on all of that for at least another 20 minutes. If we, if we wanted to, it would be easy to do that. But it's probably a good time for us to have a little break and, and the listeners as well. So awkward transition time. I'm going to do a little uh, mention now of a way that listeners can support the MJ Cast channel and podcast. And that is through the MJ Cast shop. So we have seven great designs. Uh, such as the Sunset logo, uh, seasonal logos, uh, the Jacksons and albums uh, names in font going down the t-shirt, uh, Victory and Pixel Tour. Uh, and you can get all of those designs on so many products like t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, uh, cushion covers, prints, carry bags like tote bags, which are so handy and they look so great. Uh, and you can get all of those over at themjcast.com slash shop. Now, all profits from those sales help the show in massive ways, but also help others. So it goes towards, of course, uh, show running costs because it does cost a lot for the servers and things like that. But uh, it also contributes to charities and equipment. So, for example, one of the biggest things uh, the MJCast team have done this year is support a number of charities, and they recently even made a charity donation to the DD Jackson Foundation. All of that is because of you, our wonderful listeners, and we so appreciate your support. So, shop at themjcast.com slash shop and help support the show, help support MJ, get that visibility for MJ out there in public, be proud in your t-shirts or with your shopping bags, it's always great to see, and send photos in of you using your bags, your coffee mugs, your t-shirts, and we can share those on social media if you'd like, because we really appreciate your support. And if you can't support the shop, we know it's been a tough year, 
Another way you could help the show is by rating and reviewing the show on the platform that you're currently listening to us on. That helps the visibility of the show in searches and the more visibility, the more listeners and the more people in this little MJ Cast community family. So just the last time, themjcast.com slash shop or rate and review the show and support charities, support the MJ Cast and thank you everyone. We really appreciate it. But I guess 2020, like it was a hell of a year for everyone and it affected everyone in so many different ways. Uh, Charlie, you've been working from home. I know you've had actually a busy, busy year regardless of COVID and its restrictions. You've been very busy with many projects. You've had a few awards come your way. Your Shubury um, story has taken life in a podcast now and is getting attention on that format Taj, you've been home responsibly so, which is great to hear, but then it slowed down projects in um, some ways, but helped you be able to refocus in other ways. So I guess just a general question for you guys, and Taj, we'll start with you. What was 2020 like for the Jackson family? 2020, it's one of those years that we'll never forget, but at the same time, because 2019 was so horrendous, as bad as COVID-19 was and, and sufferable for everyone, which it was, and I'm not downplaying it, it's like 2019 was even worse for, for myself in that way, just because someone that I loved dearly was having his legacy tarnished. And no matter how much you tried to speak out and expose the lies, there was always this pushback. That was hard, more difficult than people understand. But 2020 kind of was like, by the end of 2019, I think I said on, on a live uh, um, cast, I said that I felt the tide was turning. And 2020, actually, when it comes to Michael Jackson and his legacy, it did feel like the tide was turning. Midway through, um, BTS releases Dynamite, which was... Um, so great. And, and you know, I can't tell you. I, I mean, I've I might sound like a a, a a huge fan, which I am. But in terms of what it did for me at that time, because I was so exhausted of of doing interviews and and almost feeling like, okay, is this ever going to end? Like, I, we're making progress, but it's not. You know, I'm just tired. My birthday had come around and whatever, and then here's this huge Korean group, South Korean group, doing a blatant tribute to Michael Jackson. Not uh, like a hidden one where you're like, oh, maybe it's Michael Jackson doing the, you know, they're doing dance moves of Michael Jackson. Maybe they're not. It just, it was un unapologetic in a way. It literally changed my year. And it, it made me, I said on tweet, like teary eye, it did because it was like a beautiful tribute. It's something that my uncle, he had he had James Brown and all those people that he looked up to, Jackie Wilson and Fred Astaire, people that he looked up to, and he would incorporate their moves. And to see the biggest group right now shattering records, and they're, you see Michael through them. And it just, it changed me in a way for 2020, which is why I don't have that negative outlook of 2020, because a song called Dynamite came and, and literally changed my year. And I can't 
tell you that I've, I've played that song every day because it makes me happy. You know, I pop in the video every once in a while, but it's like that song just, it uplifts me. And, and I'm a huge fan now of them because I've always been a fan of people that know where they, that appreciate the past, like my uncle did. It, it's like, I see that. I see someone that respects the past and gives tribute to it. Nowadays, artists don't do that because they're so scared of like, well, I want to seem like the genius. I want to seem like the one that is thinking of all this or creating all of this. My uncle wasn't like that. Like he'd be the first person to tell you the, about the moonwalk. Like I didn't create the moonwalk. I saw this from this or, you know, so, so-and-so. He, he was different in that way. He gave tribute to like, or I'm doing James Brown's moves or this or that, or, you know, he's the real king. It's, that's just, I appreciate that. And I saw that in BTS. And, and since that day that I discovered Dynamite, I've been a huge fan ever since because their message is very similar to Michael's message, which is helping the world and spreading love throughout the world. And they really are uniting the world because there's so many people that don't understand a lick of what they're saying when they speak it, when they sing in Korean, but they're uniting them still. And I can see that's the same thing what my uncle did when people didn't understand English and his music did. And so I'm saying that music has that, that healing power. And I saw that in them. And so long story short, that helped save me in terms of for 2020. As a family, we've been hunkered down, not really seeing a bunch of people in the family uh, for obvious reasons, because everyone was scared of, of COVID-19 for, for, for good reason. So I think as a family, just seeing this outpour of love coming from artists and, and dedications and thriller playing during Halloween or, or ghost playing during Halloween or just the Michael Jackson challenge, you know, the moonwalk challenge, whatever it is, those things light us up because we see that our uncle or brother or son, if it's my grandma, we see that their spirit is still living on. It's incredible the power that music has. I know last year was a tough year for the MJ community and that was the year that I really became quite obsessed in a way with Eurovision um, <laughs> and the music of Eurovision uh, because it's so uplifting and so positive no. generally. Yes, um, And positive. that really got me through last year and then this year as well, even mm. though Eurovision was cancelled, the music, there was some great uh, artists and music that came out of that. So yeah, the, the power of music is just incredible. Can I recommend something to, to the listeners? Please. Even if you're not a fan of BTS, which the majority of people are, you know, judging by the records that they have, but even if you're not a fan or don't know who they are, just go on YouTube and look up BTS reactions to either Dynamite or recently they did um, a performance where they did like a little dance section of my, like even more oh. Michael Jackson. Like one of them, is, um, Jimin's even wearing like the striped, oh, the, uh, the Billy Jean shirt, jacket. With you know, the... Yeah. And then the, and the striped pants. And, and it's like, you know, you can see the love and dedication, but don't watch it for that. Watch the reaction. There's reaction videos of people watching that performance. And then when that comes, they, they all light up and they're like, Oh my gosh, Michael Jackson. And those reactions, are the gems for me because I'm seeing people from all over the world, people that don't even speak English at times saying Michael Jackson in, in, in a way that it's not Michael Jackson, you know, Oh, you know, it's uh, it's a joy. Like, Oh my God, they're doing Michael Jackson. And it's just, it makes me so happy to see. Cause it's like, I see his legacy carrying on through 
just different avenues. And those reaction videos have been amazing to me. Check it out, people. Search for it. Officially recommended by Taj. <laughs> well, if you want, if you if, if you're having a bad day and, you, and or if whatever, it it uplifts me so much. Just because whenever I'm feeling down or I read a tweet or or see something or the media has said something that's false or whatever, I'm reminded of that. I go to those and I'm like, okay, his legacy is carrying on, and it's and these aren't old people; these are young people that are rediscovering him. How do you think uh, you've coped this year and how do you think next year will be different moving forward? Well, it's been a, it's no question it's been a bad year, but there's been some good stuff. I mean, I got a new job uh, working at Archant Investigations, which is a fantastic place to work. I achieved uh, a long-held ambition by getting shortlisted for the Paul Foote Award. That was amazing. On the flip side, it is now over nine months since I last set foot in a theatre or a cinema. Mm -hmm. Normally I would be in the theatre or in the cinema at least once every three weeks. Uh, that really sucks. And I have tickets booked up for so much stuff, which has all been cancelled. And, you know, it's like, are, they, are the theatres going to survive? Are the cinemas going to survive? I'm not overly optimistic about next year um i know that the vaccine is here we don't know how long the vaccine lasts we don't know if it's like a flu jab and you have to get it once a year we don't know if it lasts maybe less than a year so you're going to have to get vaccinated every six to eight months if that's the case then it is going to be a long time before we have enough vaccine for everybody to be going about a normal life. Plus, thanks to Donald Trump and Brexit people and all sorts of right-wing wingnuts uh, who for the last five years have been telling the public not to believe anything, there's a whole enormous community of people on the internet who believe that if you get the vaccine, then it will change your DNA and you won't be a human being anymore and blah, 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 blah. I mean, for fuck's sake. So, you know, I just, I, I'm not overly optimistic about next year. I hope, I hope so much that it's a better year, but I just suspect it won't be. You know, if, what I would love to do, if if by the end of next year things were normal enough for me to be able to go to the theatre again and go on a foreign holiday, that would be fantastic. But mm. I, I'm not going to hold out enormous hope. If that does pan out, I'll see you next year, Taj. But if uh, yes. otherwise... Maybe the year after. <laughs> was it was it October last year that Charlie that you were over in Los Angeles and you went to the big Halloween party at Havenhurst? At Havenhurst. That was last yes. year. Yes, that was last last October. Yeah, and then sadly this wow. year that um that couldn't even go ahead. No, that that was not even we thought about that, but that was we thought about that four months ahead of time, and it just yeah. was not going going to happen yeah. just for safety reasons and and all that. But yeah, is it is it still gonna? Because originally it was BG's thing for Buckley, right? And um, mm -hmm. he's now not at Buckley; he's at college. Yeah. So is it even mm -hmm. going to continue, or is that the end of the Halloween party now? I th um, Prince is going to continue. It, Hill LA, and also um, 
DDJF is going to do a night like we used to do. It will continue on. It was going to continue yeah. on anyway. That's what we're going to do. So it's it's a it's a it's a great it party. Amazing. <laughs> I missed it. I I missed it. The, I, Halloween's one of my favorite holidays uh, with Christmas. So I I miss Halloween. I miss the party aspect of it. So I think that was another reason why like any kind of good news was always like welcome and stuff like that. Plus, I don't know if uh, TJ mentioned this or not, but our brother had 25 year anniversary was this year. And so we missed that aspect of it in terms of celebrating the release of brotherhood and our career. We were going to had a whole thing uh, set up for that in terms of going back on the road and all that stuff, which is now delayed. Bloody 2020. But Charlie, you made it such a really interesting point about the theaters being closed and if they're going to survive and also cinemas, being closed for most of you folks. We've been lucky over in Western Australia on the West Coast uh, that we had a very hard border, very strict entry and a controlled COVID in a very positive way. And we did have cinemas open. So I did get to see Tenet at the cinema. I saw the new X-Men oh, movie, wow. um, New Mutants at the cinema, I saw, what was it, last weekend, I think it was, or two weeks ago, Happiest Season with um, mm. Levy and uh, Stuart and uh, what was that incredible lady's name? That was the mum. Mary Steenberg, isn't it? That Yes, that's it. Yes, we saw that movie the other weekend, which was fantastic. The lack of cinemas and, and theatre has been a huge, huge thing. And for the industry, so destructive. Like, gosh, Taj, I bet you're like me where you've really missed a Marvel movie this year. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I, I, I always went to the theatre yeah. opening night for certain movies just because... I love that excitement that people would have and just knowing that that's going to change. But with 3T, we had certain performances scheduled. So those got canceled way before like theaters got closed. And so so it became a reality very early that things weren't going to be the same for a little while. And so they're now booking stuff up for 2021. And so we'll see. But yeah, some sort of no normalcy is good. But when you have people not paying attention or not listening to directions you never know and i think that's why i'm a little concerned about our country because it's like there's still people defying it in in a way and it's just like as if people would have just hunkered down in the first couple months and just for safety precautions thought about other people as opposed to themselves we'd be in a better situation but we live in a world where it's me first and so they only care about themselves, and it's unfortunate. From someone in a country where we did have pretty clear instruction and people early on was the key, everyone just was really, okay, don't go visit your parents, don't go visit grandparents, stay at home, only leave if you have to. Everyone still went crazy and bought too much toilet paper and freezers and things like that, but it did work. That's why Australia is in that position at the moment and things could always change, but that's why yeah. we are in the position at the moment where currently there's music festivals happening in my state. Cinemas are open, yeah. sports stadiums are open, cafes, everything is very back to normal. Um, I know Melbourne and Victoria had it really, really tough. They had a, a large 
for, for Australia, it was a large death toll and case numbers. And they had to bunker mm. down very strictly for months. I think it was like 100 days or something. But now mm-hmm. things are getting back to normal on that East Coast as well. I actually, just as we were talking, I got a test result. That COVID test I had yesterday is negative because I passed through Sydney last weekend for work and they've had a mm. 28 cases is what we're calling a flare-up mm. over here. I was going to say, <laughs> 28 wow. cases was a flare-up for Sydney, <laughs> yeah. but because of that, the border between our states has gotten uh, not fully closed at the moment, but it has become strict. And because of my work and anyone who's passed through before a certain date had to go get a COVID test and I just got the result, which is good. So it means I can go back to work tomorrow. But things like that did work. And I just encourage people just follow health guidelines out there, follow government, hopefully smart government advice, just Short-term pain for the long-term gain. Just bunker down, do as you're mm-hmm. told, and then it's over quicker. And then you get those freedoms back. And then the cinemas can come back. We can go see Marvel movies again because I'm really missing those. I want to see Black yes. Widow. <laughs> and the theatres can open yes, again. Black Widow. Give Angela Lansbury work. She needs work as well, people. We need to look after Auntie Angela Lansbury. <laughs> Charlie needs mm-hmm. more Angela content. So... Just be yes. safe over Christmas and the New Year's out there, folks. Short-term pain for the long-term gain. Yeah. Think of everyone else, and it, and it does work. Yeah. It, yeah. I think the think of everyone else is the, the yeah. hard thing for certain people. Yeah. The empathy aspect of it. Well, it's not just that. It's the rampant misinformation and disinformation. You know, the amount of people who seriously believe that this is a hoax scamdemic, plandemic, you know, all that bullshit. I mean, it's terrifying how many people believe that. Terrifying. Huge, huge amounts of people believe it. It's just a culture that's grown up in the last sort of five years, which was seeded by particular nefarious political movements. And it's kind of like you're watching now that culture eating itself because in order to get where they wanted to be, in order to get Donald Trump into the White House, in order to achieve Brexit in the UK, it was facts. You can't believe facts. Facts are put together by experts. Experts are agents of the elite. And you can't, you can't trust any facts. You can't trust the evidence. It's all made up. You can't trust experts because who, who are they? Hoity-toity people who think they're better than you. You know, blah, blah, blah. And, and it was all about don't believe any evidence, don't believe anything that comes from authority, just believe bullshit you read on Facebook, whatever your mate down the pub tells you is true. That was the logic that was seeded to achieve these particular political movements, and now that those people are in charge, they're now five years later going, why the fuck isn't anybody listening to the experts? Why is everybody ignoring the science? It's like, oh, because you told them not to. You told them, don't believe experts. You told them, don't believe evidence, don't believe facts. This is what you fucking told them. And now they're doing exactly what you told them to do, which is believing any old bullshit that they read on Facebook. And so that's why, you know, I mean, where I live, we're now at 700 and something cases for every 100,000 people. One of the worst rates that's existed in the UK since the beginning 
of the whole thing. And still, if you go on the Facebook groups for the area that I live in, overwhelmingly it's imbeciles saying of oh, plandemic, scamdemic, don't believe it, don't get the mm -hmm. vaccine, it's a conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just absolutely terrifying. I just don't see a way out of it because the volume of people who are saying they'll refuse to get the vaccine is, I mean, we're just never going to get to a point where the cases are going to be under control. The whole thing frightens me terribly. We're afraid for you as well. That must be a nice feeling to, to kind of be in, on the outside, you know, just seeing, you know, but it, uh, real quick, it was, it was mainly the, the, the stubbornness of our leadership in, in both countries that, you know, and the, the defiance of them that put us in this predicament now in terms of because as most of the countries that are doing okay, they in the beginning took it very serious and they clamped down on it. And while others were told or not others were told, others promoted oh, no, don't let it affect your life. You go out and do whatever you want to do and all that stuff, and now we're paying the price. Definitely leadership is a huge part of it. Sure, our national government, the federal government, they were strict as well, but I think down here it was our state governments, the state premiers that really mm. shone through and stood up to bullying, really, from federal government's like oh no just mm. relax your borders open your state up for everyone you know just mm. Mm. and our premier over here was like no don't tell me what to do i'm in charge of the state mm. and we're not going to open the borders until i've got the advice from the health people that it is safe to do so and they've copped a lot of flack for it as well and still do it's thrown a lot of people's plans for christmas into array over here that were ready to come over yeah. from sydney but now they have to go into two weeks quarantine and it's strict quarantine too. Police yeah. will come and check on you at your house and people will get charged. Wow. So, you know, I think leadership is definitely a big thing. And gosh, your leadership mess over there, Charlie, has been just so disheartening and confusing to see over the last couple of yeah. years. But hopefully somehow, even if it's in small ways for the US, this change in leadership has to have some positive aspects. Like, it has to. I actually was so inspired by the Democrat win, but also the people that fought hard for that Democrat win. And it was not an easy win for the Democrats to win that election in the US last month. But I decorated my Christmas tree in blue and gold this year because I was so inspired by what mm -hmm. my friends did over there. Because you've just got to have that hope that hopefully... It's hope and it's... it's um... I used to always, I like the word empathy. It's just caring about others and at least uh, try not to become too political on, on podcasts. But I think one of the things that just was more frustrating is that these last couple of years, it's been, what about me? It's all about me, 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 me. And I'm, I'm not only talking about the leader, but I'm talking about the country itself. It was always like that, as opposed to, I've always been, and, and I like, America when it's about, you know, we, we're all in this together. We're all brothers and sisters. You, something happens to one country, we're going to help you and, and, and the same vice versa. And I think that, that that's changed, that had changed in terms of, well, we'll help you, but what do we get out of it? 
you know, was the attitude that America's had these past couple of years. And now I think the, what people are hoping is that we can get back to that. We're going to take care of our brothers and sisters from around the world in that way. And I think that's what we were voting on. And, and we were voting on a change of attitude and, and a change of, as you said, hope, but also um, empathy. And so, yeah, I'm, that's another reason why I'm looking forward to 2021 is because of that hope and aspect of it. Cause I think that does change people's mindsets in general and people feel better about something or about don't have to worry about everything. Then they can think of things differently and, and see things through a different lens. I did have one other thing to say real quick um, for one of the things that I would say for everyone listening is 2021, there's going to be a lot of people that are changing their opinion on Michael Jackson in terms of whether they stumble across evidence or they've now become courageous enough to, quote unquote, uh, give their opinion. Don't be too hard on them. I know the the easiest thing to do is be like, you know, screw you. Where were you two years ago or whatever? Or screw you. You, you said this in the past. But we're going to scare a lot of people away if we do that and, and discourage a lot of people from doing that in a way. And I've never done that. I've always taken the approach of, okay, I won't forget what you said. <laughs> I won't forget how you did that. But at the same time, I'm happy you're back or I'm happy that you learned or studied the evidence. Because I do fear that there are certain um, people in the community that want to like give the middle finger to everyone that wants to extend an ol- olive branch. And I don't think that's the right approach in terms of, that's just my opinion. But just because I, I want, if this really is about Michael Jackson and his legacy, I think there is room for growth. If it's real growth, if it's just being trendy and wanting to be in now and, and be, uh, I'm a Michael Jackson fan because it's trendy, that's a different story. I'm talking about people that actually learned the truth or learned the error of their ways. Taj, I have a final question for you before we start wrapping the show up. Being a Jackson, what that means, how heavily does the name bring like a responsibility for you personally? Uh, that's a great question. It changed over the years. Uh, being a Jackson for me always meant being charitable, being a humanitarian, helping people that, because that's what I saw in, um, growing up. That's what I saw my dad and uncles do and my aunts do and my grandma do. So for me, that was always like first nature. Like you got to help people. You got to be there to help people in that way whether it's through music or through your popularity or your fame, that was one of the things that being a Jackson is. But I also learned through probably the last five years that there's a certain pride of being a Jackson. I I was always proud to be a Jackson, but I took it for granted. And that was something I learned through my grandfather, Joe. Just the pride that he had of being a Jackson and, and starting something that now the world can appreciate. He was very proud of that. And he always wanted that to continue. Every time we'd see him, he'd be like, you guys doing music, you got to keep it going. You got to, you know, you got to keep that Jackson name going. That was something that I always took with a grain of salt, just like, okay, yeah, yeah, I know. And But when he became ill and then later passed, I just, one of the last interviews he did um, that Liam interviewed him for and, and um, 
on the red carpet. I forgot what event it was, but I watched that interview and I saw the pride of my grandfather, of the legacy that he had started. And um, it went full circle then, you know, on his deathbed when I saw the pride still in him of keeping this legacy alive. And it's not just music. It's just the name. It's because the name brings hope and it brings happiness to people and healing to people. And I think that that's something that being a Jackson is. It's it's a responsibility. It's not, I think if any one of our family members was one way that other people get away with, we would get on each other about it. But being, being a Jackson, just for me, there's a certain pride to it now. That especially standing up for the legacy and, and the legacy is not only about the history of the music and all that stuff, which I'm super proud of, but it's about the legacy of helping others and, and being an inspiration to others. And that is the things that I fight more about is when people try to erase the good things that we've done as opposed to just records because records, you know, can be broken, but your legacy of what you've done and how you've helped people, you know, that's who you are. And so I think that's what being a Jackson is. And, and, and that's what I wear as a proud, um, I guess, badge of honor in a way is being a Jackson. I'm so proud of it. I, we've been through just like, It'd be the same thing as being a Jackson fan or a Michael Jackson fan. You've had to weather the storm. You've had to go through so much hell from other people, from negativity, sometimes through, from your own family in a way that have said things to you about Michael Jackson or the family or this or that, that you've had to fight them on or defend them, you know, and I just, it's, it's, it's the hardships, but it's also the great, you know, rewards afterwards in that way. And so it's the same thing. I mean, I was reading some comments about we have our reality show. It's playing on YouTube now, the reality show we did like five years ago. And I made the mistake of reading some of the comments and some of them were so mean, like in terms of it changed my mood for literally 20 seconds and then I was over it. But they're like, yeah, they, they, they don't want it. That's why they're not famous or, you know, they're spoiled and rich and, you know, rich kids growing up. So they don't know what it's like to be hungry. And that's why they're not successful. And I was just like, they don't even know our life. They don't even know what we had to go through in that way. And but then I realized it's just people commenting on YouTube and then it changes my opinion on it. So I don't take anything too serious, but that, that hurt for a little while. But then I was like, okay, that's just some random person on a keyboard typing that doesn't know anything about me, but that's just the perception. People think they, what they see is what people are. And so that's why I say Michael's legacy is it's so important for people to know who he truly was. I think uh, Charles would agree that you wear the name very well, as does your family. Well, Taj is, I've said before, I don't know if he likes it or not, but Taj <laughs> reminds me of Ned Flanders. Because he's just like the nicest person you could ever meet. You know, he's such a kind and generous person. I, I just think he's uh, an enormous credit to the family mm. and um thank you i'm very proud you know that he's my friend and um yeah i don't know do you like me calling you ned flanders or not <laughs> i i don't mind it it's i mean i know exactly who that is <laughs> yeah. and in in the simpson universe but but for me you know i take i do i'm so proud of being a nice person like it's just 
it's so hard for me not to be in that way. And and some people have said it's a weakness and, and I've been taken advantage of by certain people and, and certain things, but I wouldn't change it for anything. And it's because I've had my grandma as my role model my whole life and my uncle, Michael, and, and my dad. And they're some of the nicest people I know in that way. And, and they're just people per they're, there's an energy to it. And I just, I just love that aspect of it. And I, I like people. I really do. I care about people. I should say, not just like them. I, I really, truly care. And, um, that's just, I can't change that. Beautiful. Beautifully said. I agree. Charlie, thank you for that new nickname for Taj. <laughs> I'm going to get that. A lot of people <laughs> calling me that. That's fine. Yeah, you probably will. <laughs> Um, probably a good time for us to head to some 2020 Season 6 bloopers. Nice. And then we'll wrap the show up, gents, and farewell 2020 together. Yes. His show would enrich the his – show, his show would oftentimes enrich the – you know, and stimulate the economy in the different regions, you know, so – you know, I just always respected that. And, you know, he cared, really, really cared, you know, and I think it gave a certain amount of value and credence to, you know, how important it all was to him. Pez's newest book, and the reason he's on our show today, is the history... Get the title wrong, at least it's great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go back one sentence. There's a great new podcast out called MJ News Digest. And this podcast is done by a UK guy, uh, and his name is. No. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and his name. <laughs> uh, and his. <laughs> 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 you give me the giggles, kid. <laughs> okay. Oh, and this guy's name. Oh, now I can do this again. And this guy's name is Tony. So I have one last question about the kind of structure and format of the book. And that is to touch on these incredible... uh, Some stuff from the early to mid 90s has a smoother, soapy look. Terminator 2 on Blu-ray looked smooth like this for years until John... Sorry, not John Cameron. (laughs) Until Cameron remastered it a few years ago. If it was the only thing they were ever going to release again, I would be a happy fan. And I think for Michael's legacy. Oh no, I've knocked over my tower. Stand by. <laughs> <laughs> the wires. I was excitedly gesturing and I caught up on the wires. All right, let's just do that last little bit again. What did I say last? <laughs> you you were saying that, you know, oh, for Michael's the only legacy. Thing. Oh, for yep. Michael's legacy, yeah. Yeah. How is Jamin's movie coming? His, uh, his movie? Which movie? I thought he was making a film. Oh, uh, no, not a film. Um, I'm not sure what you're thinking of. I don't know. <laughs> I, could, I, I could be wrong. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to visualize what the conception would have been like for that song. Take me inside what it was like to conceive an idea with Michael Jackson. Was it very back and forth, creative jousting type work? You got that term from me the last time. I did. Yes, I did. Exactly. And from this is it, the movie. <laughs> yes. 
It's exactly that. You have been a vocal advocate for Michael since the release of Leaving... I can't talk. So we have definitely got new music ready to listen to right now on our devices from TJ Jackson and Paris Jackson. They've both dropped... um, uh, Well, TJ dropped an EP and Paris dropped a full album. TJ's is called Obsession. Second EP for Tarrell in like the last 12 months. Hang on, TJ. TJ, this is like his second EP in the last 12 months. His, um, what did you just say the name was? Obsession. Yeah, I think this... So the first one was Obsession and this one's called Damaged, isn't it? Oh, do I have it wrong? I thought this one was called Damaged. The new I mean, one sorry, is I thought damaged. this one was called... Hang on, hang on, uh, hang on. Get please this check right. this out. Yeah, we need to oh, fuck this up. Yeah, because we're talking about it. Um... Yeah, he's got... Yeah, the new one is called Damaged. Cool. One kind of final thing about the structure of the book is you have included all these incredible photos. There's quite a lot of them. They're all full color. And can you tell us a little bit about... I mean, I'm going to pause for just a minute. There's a... <laughs> I can hear by. that. So. Can you hear that one? <laughs> yeah. I God, maybe I should just start that question over. It's really frustrating. I'm on this little beach uh, highway. I thought I was far away enough, but apparently not with the Harleys. Um, I'm going to just start that little question over. Uh, I could probably word it better anyway. Uh, now there's like a plane going by. Oh I my could goodness. hear that one. Is that- <laughs> yeah, this is, oh, geez, I thought this would be a good place. Maybe if you just Jam- hang out and say, if anyone yeah. else wants to buzz by, now we going to yell at me. Um, yeah, let's just, I'm just going to pause for a second. Well, whatever is going on. I think it's a plane or a helicopter. Saturday in San Diego. Busy time. Okay. Can you, can you hear that? I can, yeah. You can? Okay. Just wait for a second. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. I'm glad this is happening when I was talking, not when, um, not when you were in the middle of something important. Yeah. The I guess most important thing is, wait, there's a car. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay. When, when you think about you Michael's... Have, uh, <laughs> we just did it again, Sorry, Sean. again. Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, you keep you keep going. If you've got something there about that yes, line, All right. This will, be lo- no, this will be the last one. So, <laughs> for me. Um, yeah. Uh, now, let me get you back um, on my screen. Oh, it's not going to let me. Oh, God. Uh, all right. Let's switch. There we go. There you are. Okay. And we also have don't be messing messing around messing around. Excuse me. Say let me say that again. Don't be messing around. Um, Who were some of your inspirations in your early days? You mentioned Lavelle, but were there any other key dancers that you looked up to? Of course, and thought, these guys are of incredible. Of course, of course, Mikhail Baryshnikov, Rudolf Nureyev, Alvin Ailey, Arthur Mitchell, Ben Vereen, Bob Fosse, who I'd later come to really understand the work of because of Michael. Um, but I did like Ghost. Um, I did that live stream when Ghost was really re-released. I thought that was really well done in terms of um, the releasing that as a surprise for things, for things, for, <laughs> got my holidays mixed up, for Halloween. Of the photographers. Um, Yep. Oh, I just I just lost you there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It sounded like a windstorm. 
I love the bloopers so much, guys. And don't forget, you can just listen to the bloopers and share them solely as a clip. They're on YouTube. Charlie, geez, you're funny. I wish I knew what you were talking about. <laughs> of course, in the in the universe of this episode, we've all just heard those bloopers. But in, the truth is, we've not heard the bloopers. I'm letting you in on a secret, listeners. We don't know what the bloopers are. At the time we recorded this, there were no bloopers. So... I don't know what Q's talking about, and I hope it's not unflattering. <laughs> Never. You've survived how many seasons with your, like, great bloopers so far, and I've made them as well. So Is it all no. just me swearing? Everyone loves them. Is that what it is? No, oh, okay. not... I haven't heard them this year, but in the past it has not just been you swearing. You just heard the... Because usually Jamin leaves that in, doesn't you he? You've just heard the admission, listeners. <laughs> Q's, Q has not heard the bloopers either When he just said how much he loved those bloopers That was a lie Oh my god The curtain has been lifted Yeah he's calling you out <laughs> Gentlemen this has been super fun Thank you so much what a, what a great discussion to wrap up Season 6 of the MJ cast And a great Christmas present For all of the listeners out there Congratulations again, Taj and Tayana and to Taylor as well on that amazing news. That's terrific. And thanks for sharing that with us. Of course, of course. And thank, thank you guys, MJ Cast, for just putting on such a great podcast that has had so many wonderful guests that I've enjoyed listening to and just for continuing it. It's been great listening to you guys. Thanks, Char Charlie. I was gonna say Charlie, but I've never called you Char Charlie. That's why it sounded weird. Charles. I was trying to call you Charlie because I had heard that, but it didn't sound right. So, and thanks, Charles, for um, you've been a, a warrior this the last year, two years, when all this hit with leaving Neverland and stuff like that. And a lot of people don't even know what you've done behind the scenes in terms of how much you've been involved in terms of debunking these lies. And so thank you for your, you know, your tremendous effort um, in that way. And so I'm just wanted to thank both of you guys in general for everything. Cause I'm, as I always say, I'm family. So people think, okay, well he was going to do it anyway, but you guys have such a commitment to this. So I just appreciate it. Thank you, Taj. No, it's no problem. You know, it's, it's the right thing to do. It is. Um, yeah. You know, to, if as a journalist, I just believe fundamentally that firstly, you should fact check things before you publish or broadcast them. And secondly, if you cannot demonstrate or prove the truth of an allegation, then you have an obligation to present both sides. And there was just a, an industry wide failure to perform the journalistic basics. Mm. And it shouldn't be controversial to just do the basics. It shouldn't be controversial to do your job properly. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, most people didn't do their jobs properly. And all you guys, as the family and the estate, were asking for was for people to do their jobs properly. You weren't asking for any preferential treatment. You weren't asking for everybody to take a pro-Michael Jackson stance you were just saying listen if you're going to present the allegations you should present the information which discredits those allegations mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to report on these two guys who have been suing the estate for the last six years you should read the court documents that shouldn't be controversial 
And it was, there were people that were almost like dismissing that as a ludicrous suggestion. You know, look at these stupid people suggesting we should read the court documents. (laughs) It's, uh, it's just, you know, distressing as somebody who cares about journalism to watch that happening. And so uh, all I'm doing is what everybody else should be doing. And, uh, and it's sad that, uh, that there should be so few people doing that, that those that are doing it should stand out. That that's really sad. It's a sad indictment of uh, of the industry. Yeah, I think lead by example. That's all anyone can do in their day to day life is lead by example, and that's the way to move forward, to make things better, to improve things. Is lead by example and just do the right thing as yep. a baseline. As a baseline. Taj, thank you so much. I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank Taj for trusting us at the MJ Cast in season one. Season one, it was, I think we can all really go back and pinpoint and credit Taj and Darren Hayes and (laughs) Tom Mesero, the trust that those three gentlemen put in us to be taken seriously in the very Mm -hmm. startup days of the MJ cast. And it means so much to us at Team MJ cast to this day and also to the listeners that the Jackson family did put that trust in us and continues to. And, and that's part of the reason, you know, we keep fired up and keep going and, and the listeners still tune in in huge numbers and love it and share it. Awesome. So thank you very much, Taj. Charlie, thank you for everything. It's been so good. I haven't had a chat with you for a while, so it's been good to have a chat with you. Yeah, you And too. I want to wish both of you and your families all the best for Christmas and for 2021 moving forward. Wonderful. Same to you. I hope for a better year. Yeah. We can only hope. Yeah. We will all work towards that and do our little parts. Um, Taj, one last question. How's Auntie Latoya? She's she's great. She um she absolutely adores Taylor, so she's always checking in on Taylor. It's really cool because she gives me little tidbits of what I was like as a, a baby. So she's like, You used to love this, and then I see that in Taylor, like you know, a couple months later, like Taylor is starting to like the same things I liked. Um, you know, so it's just it's fun. It's fun in a way, but yeah, she's she's been incredible in terms of she really, really adores Taylor. So I'm very happy about that. Taj, the next time Latoya checks in on Taylor, <laughs> you should explain to her how important it is that she comes on the MJ cast. Okay. I will. I, I actually, Please, I actually yes. will mention oh that because um, we usually just chat and all that stuff uh, over the phone. But I will mention that. I I will say you should definitely do this podcast. I'm already reserving my seat at the table at that. I was actually really pleased this week when I was doing a post for a friend of ours whose birthday was this week that I used uh, Latoya Jackson music for the story on Instagram. And I was like, there's a lot of, they've put a lot of Latoya's music on Instagram that you can use for your stories. And I was so happy about that. But yes, please, please ask you know that's that's a whole career that you go into and you know Latoya made her mark not only in music but she worked 
in TV. She like Latoya, that's one thing I really admire. She's like, I'm going to work. I'm gonna go become a police officer. I'm gonna go and do like reality shows. I'm gonna go do the apprentice. I'm gonna go and do a cooking show. Psychic, you know wasn't she a TV yes. psychic for a while? Yeah. I think so. And Dion Warwick. Like figure yeah. all of the pies. Oh my god, best thing of twenty twenty was Dion Warwick's Twitter. Oh yeah. People go and follow Auntie Dion Warwick on Twitter because you will not regret it. Yeah. It is the best. Yeah. It is so wonderful. Gentlemen, before we go, social media, it's a big part. And thankfully, this year, it's helped people keep in contact. Charlie, I know you're super excited to share where people can find you and reach you at. Yes, go and download my podcast at www.podfollow.com forward slash unfinished dash one forward slash that's it. Done. Don't talk to Charlie. He's very busy. <laughs> He's very busy. Taz Jackson, where can people find yourself? And also please drop in um, if you've got it handy, the Diddy Jackson Foundation social media details. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Taz Jackson three. It's a number three. I'm also on Instagram just as Taz Jackson. And then um, also for DDJF, which Thank you for asking about that. First of all, the website is ddjf.org. That's um, the first place I would go. And then it's DDJ Foundation. That's DDJ Foundation is for the Twitter. We're always putting stuff out and, you know, we're always appreciative of donations there because, you know, the music therapy that we do and all that stuff and the podcast we're doing as well, you know, um, have helped a lot of people and we're very proud of it. It also helps keep our family's legacy of, of helping others going. So um, I'm really proud that you guys kept the, the podcast, the radio show, the Power of Love radio show. You can download it as a podcast and tune in after the show has aired, folks. But I'm really proud that you guys have kept that going during this year because that really would have helped a lot of people. Yeah, we contemplated. We weren't ever going to not do it. It was just a matter of how we can do it. And and because it's also healing to us, you know, going through loss and grief in general, you know, to hear to hear from experts and also to hear from the community. And it's one of the things that I do that kind of helps my soul in a way, because I always just helping others always feels good. And so every Wednesday at 1 p.m., I guess, Pacific time. LA time or whatever we're, we're on. Um, we seldomly miss an uh, an episode. We're approaching two hundred episodes. So wow, congratulations! You know, I think I've I even yeah. heard TJ was in a car stealing the McDonald's the Wi Fi. Yep, yeah, we're, we're that, that dedicated. Yeah, he'll he'll be at a McDonald's you know parking lot stealing Wi Fi. Yeah, but it's it's been that's been an honor for us as well. That's been really exciting, and we get direct feedback from the community as, as well. And the community has helped so much in building DDJF. So very, and our board members are incredible. They're all in it. No one gets a dime from DDJF in terms of working for DDJF, myself or my brothers included. So we're all doing this voluntarily. And I knew you weren't going to mention it, but I will do it again. The GoFundMe for Taj Jackson's Truth Runs Marathons project. The link will be in the show notes or search uh, GoFundMe for Taj Jackson or Truth Runs Marathons to help get that project moving along and keeping it 
in process. So please donate if you can. The MJ Cast social media is very easy. The MJ Cast across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can email the MJ Cast at iCloud.com. I hope I got that right. It's been a while since I've said that. My name is Q and you can find my social media on Twitter and Instagram. What was the Q is my handle. Cool handle. Thank you, Taj. Yes, I thought that was pretty cool. A friend helped me pick that out and I used it across both my accounts to keep it consistent. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I need to let the listeners know there will be an end of year survey So stay tuned on social media for the links to fill out a survey to send Jamin and Elise feedback for this incredible season of so many special guests. And next year, season seven, will be much the same as this year in terms of format. I don't know if Jamin's going to wait till the end of the year to ask me back to have three episodes all in a (laughs) row, bang, bang, bang. Probably not. It'll probably be spaced out a bit differently next year. But uh, more roundtables. Next year, of course, is the year of Invincible. And it is also the anniversary of the 30th anniversary concert at Madison Square Garden. Can you believe 30 years? That doesn't even sound like the correct thing when I say it. No, it doesn't. It really is. (laughs) But that makes it the 50th anniversary. It really does. Yep. The 50th anniversary of the Jacksons next year, the Jackson 5. Wow. So he's got a note here that there'll be a 30th anniversary roundtable at some point as well. Wonderful. But that's a wrap. Season 6 of the MJ cast. Taj, Charlie, thank you so much. And uh, have a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And we'll uh, all catch up again soon, I am sure. All right, take care. Yeah, everyone be safe. That's it. Good advice. Be safe, everyone. Be smart, be safe, and be loving. Yes. Merry Christmas. Humbug. (laughs) 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 Uh, I wouldn't expect anything less, Charles. (laughs) Charlie. Am I the only one that calls you Charlie? No, my, lots of people call me Charlie. Well, I, okay. I love that. When, I, I kept hearing that in the podcast and I was like, dang, you know, am I, am I, does he like Charlie better than Charles? <laughs> and I'm like, I tried it and it just didn't sound, I stumbled. I was like, it couldn't even come out of my mouth right. So I was like, never mind. I don't, I don't think I know a Charlie besides, you know, I know a couple of Charleses, but not a Charlie. So I was just like, no, it's not going to happen. I think both suit you. My granddad's name was um, Charles, but it was only ever Charles, never. Yeah. Not Charlie that I remember, but no, I think Charlie suits you. Yeah. They're both, they're both cool names. I just, it didn't come out my mouth right. So I was like, forget it. (laughs) It was funny. That was a good name. It's cooler in America. In America, it gets abbreviated to Chunk, which is is much cooler.
don't think Chuck suits me, though. Yeah, no, Chuck, you're not Chuck. I can no. tell you that. No, no, no offense. 